Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's up, everyone? Hope you had a great weekend. Welcome to a Monday edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily and what should be a very, very busy week on the sports scene in the peg and on the program. Of course, the Commissioner Gary Bettman in town tomorrow. Um, we'll get into that. Um, and all of the feedback we had from uh, Friday's show with Chris Johnson on, um, uh, certainly there were a lot of Jets conversations about what was happening on the ice and off the ice around the city and province over the course of the last few days, and we'll continue those conversations right here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Um, we're going to do it with Sean Reynolds. Looking forward to having Rennie jump on the program. He and Kenny with a uh, couple of interesting post-game shows this weekend against, um, you know, two of the lower teams in the league. Uh, the Jets won. They got the two points. Style points maybe weren't there as much, but um, we'll find out how Rennie's feeling and, uh, as well as all of you in the chat with your thoughts on uh, the Jets uh, getting the four points, which what they set out to do, and now staring ahead at the Blues tomorrow night in a huge game in Dallas on Thursday, which could very well be for first place in the Central Division. Um, we're also going to talk with Jeff Hamilton. And uh, listen, there's lots going on to talk to Jeff about. We will hit the uh, story out of the Canadian Football League that I know he's been all over with this lawsuit against the Toronto Argonauts and uh, the status of Chad Kelly moving forward. Um, and Jeff, you know, being someone that's covered all Winnipeg sports for a long time, I know is going to have some opinions on uh, what's going on with the Jets as they uh, look to uh, regain that foothold here in Winnipeg with a, a healthy season ticket base this is er that has eroded over the last couple of years. So uh, Hammer and Rennie on the program today. And then later on, we're going to bring on, well, I already see some people in the chat fired up about this. Uh, you know him as Al's brother from Overdrive, Michael DiStefano, who uh, is a, a multi-talented individual. He brings the tremendous information on Overdrive. Uh, he also hosts the Locked on Leafs podcast, but don't worry, we won't be talking about the Leafs. We'll be talking about the unprecedented sale of that case of 1979-80 OPG hockey cards, which was found in storage in Regina, Saskatchewan, which went for almost $5 million Canadian at an auction over the course of the weekend. So it should be a fun conversation. We've obviously loved having O-Dog on in the past and Brian Hayes. It was about time we got A-B on the program. But uh, we'll focus in on the Jets. And maybe right off the bat, we'll talk Scotty's. What a performance by Rachel Holman and an incredible end to the run of Jennifer Jones. Uh, but just before we do that, a big thanks to the sponsors that make Winnipeg Sports Talk happen each and every day. Uh, the gang at Princess Auto, Cool Bet Canada, Little Brown Jug, F Apparel, Wallace and Wallace, the Winnipeg Jets, Royal Sports, Boston Pizza, Sport Manitoba, Modern Man Barbershops, Manitoba Battery, and of course the gang at Canadian Club. Looking forward to seeing all you whiskey lovers to uh, enjoy and sip and learn about some great whiskey and watch the Jets and Dallas Stars Thursday night at the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame. But as we welcome everybody in chat, what's going on? Hit that thumbs up button and the subscribe if you haven't already. By the way, thanks to everyone. We are now officially at 11,000 YouTube subscribers. On to 12. And welcome in Michael Remus. Remo, what's going on? 
Yeah, feeling good, Huss. Uh, you know, it was great to have two Jets wins because we got into some conversations on Friday that had the comment section all uh, heated up. I had some serious uh, anxiety over the weekend having to moderate it and keep the chat, cl- keep the comments clean. Uh, but uh, yeah, a lot of discussion, a lot of opinions on off-ice stuff. But as far as on-ice, two wins, maybe. Process not what you'd want to see, but hey, you know, for a team that couldn't score on the power play and certain guys weren't going, um, you know, we saw Ehlers get on the board with two on Friday after all the talk on Friday about him not being able to score. And again, power plays on a heater. So they're winning. And hey, look, look, time to look at the standings again. That's uh, first in the Western Conference when you sort by points percentage. So, uh, I mean, it's still pretty good stuff here. From the Jets, look to keep it going, but maybe make things look a bit more, a bit better, a bit cleaner uh, on five on five. I'll say this. I'd far rather be talking about a team that didn't play their best that won. Yes. As opposed to a team that, you know, was playing pretty good, but just not getting the results. Because I've said it a million times, this is a results-based business. And it's an 82-game season. (laughs) Uh, the wins and losses come in many different ways. And I think what's been most important over the course of the last two weeks is the Jets righted the ship after a five-game winless streak. I believe they're now, what, six wins in their last seven games. And it, it is amazing. If you would have told me, dude, that let's let's rewind to three weeks ago, just before I went away for that week, with where the power play had been and how many points we had said that it probably cost the Jets in games so far this season – to think that the Jets are on a, a heater right now in the standings on the back of the power play would have almost been inconceivable, especially in a game last night, and we'll get to it, without Sean Monahan, who is, in a lot of ways, the catalyst of that. Um, but the power play has emerged in a huge way, and you can argue that it right now is carrying the Jets, certainly not the five-on-five dominance that we've been accustomed to seeing for the majority of this hockey season. Yeah, eight power play goals in a five-game span, and that week you were away, it was like, oh, the power play. How are they going to fix this? Like, should we we believe them? Like, it's been terrible all year. And that weekend, starting the weekend against Vancouver, uh, they went nuts on the power play. Oh, Gabe Velarde and scored it. And that point in five games, what's going on with him? And he's been on a heater now. Ten points in his last five games. And all last week, uh, Nikolai Ehlers, how about... His line mates, I think that we can still have discussion about that, but he hasn't he hasn't had any points in a while. What's going on with the Ehlers? Is he hurt? And we had heard he was under the weather and game time decision for Friday and doesn't even need teammates us on Friday. Just took it end to end and snipes past Mrazic. Oh, he just bounces it off the boards to himself. Dude, that was and, and scores. Some of the two ridiculous uh, individual efforts. So everything seems to be coming up jets. I think they know there's areas to clean up. I do wonder if there's some like, you know, they're in first in the in the Western Conference. They've got games in hand in the Central. You know, you saw them really bring it, bring the intensity in the Vancouver game. I wonder, you know, if you play Chicago and, you know, Arizona, who's lost now 12 in a row, like there's some element of just putting it on cruise control at times when you have a lead. Uh, we'll get a look, you know, big divisional games this week against St. Louis and especially Dallas, so you'll see how they look there, more so Dallas. But I do wonder if there's some aspect of, you know, taking your foot off the gas a little against these teams like like Chicago and 
Chicago and Arizona and saving it for teams like Vancouver. Um, I guess we'll have, we'll take a look at that, you know, th- hypothesis on that Thursday in Dallas. Uh, Fred Schneider in chat says, Huss says he was in Mexico. Really? He was working with the jets on the power play. Mm-hmm. I'd love to take that sort of credit, Fred. Uh, I can't, but I will bury Horowitz myself and take a little credit for calling that big game from Nikolai Ehlers on Friday. And I hope some of you jumped on our play of the day with the Ehlers goal at plus 200. He was, uh, he was phenomenal. Listen, just before we kind of get into Friday night's win and Sunday's win, I, I, I don't want to not recognize Jennifer Jones right near the start of the show. And Randy's coming on later. Shout out to KNR who waited to start their post-game show until the handshakes were done in that Scotty's final between Manitoba and or Jen Jones representing Manitoba and Rachel Holman of Ontario. Um, the Scotties stole the show this weekend, Reem. I know you were paying attention mm-hmm. on Saturday night as Holman and Jones went toe-to-toe in the 1-2 game for the Page playoff, which was won by Holman. Um, when Jen was unable to get to the button on that final rock. And Holman herself was absolutely brilliant. She was the favorite going in. She's been the best Chris Skip and the best team all year long. Very deserving champions. But for Jen Jones on the other side of 50 with that young team from Manitoba to go head-to-head with and blow for blow with Holman and push her to the absolute brink was... I mean, just simply awesome to watch. Uh, I I thought that maybe Jen had one more in her. I mean, one more miracle. We've seen her pull him off throughout her Hall of Fame career. Um, But certainly, I think the right team won. But man, what a way to go out for Jennifer Jones. Uh, Olympic gold medalist, all the Scotties wins. Um, Historically, the greatest this country has ever produced. And uh, it was a bit of a tearjerker at the end of the night for everybody in the building, people watching on TV, for Jen Jones' teammates, even for Team Ontario, as we saw the great Jennifer Jones finish up her career at the Scotties one last time. Yeah, the curling was amazing. I found myself Saturday instead of, you know, normally I got hockey night in Canada. I mean, Battle of Alberta, a nice game there, but I was glued in. Uh, they were going shot for shot all the way to extra ends, and... I mean, the shot Holman made to send it to extras. I mean, she had to be perfect, and she was. And, you know, she is a tough road for you to be Jennifer Jones twice. Uh, so, I mean, well-deserved by Team Holman. And I think part of it here, you had the four Manitoba teams in action, uh, Carrie Anderson you know, playing as Team Canada, but, but you had Jones and Cameron, Team Anderson and Kalen Laws throughout the week as well. So we were paying attention to the Scotties. And, uh, TSN, and all made the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, there were six teams in the playoffs four from our province, which says something about the incredible women on the ice uh, here in, yeah. uh, here around Winnipeg. So, you know, shout out to TSN. They do a great job uh, on the curling. It's one of the best, I think, sports to watch on TV. The broadcast, very informative, and I was, I was glued to it. I mean, uh, I, what, I, I, uh, I, was, I finished hockey last night, and the, I got the alert that that game was still on. I watched the final end. Well, I streamed the audio uh, from my phone to my car uh, on the way home, so... <laughs> It was, I mean, it was pretty, pretty exciting stuff. You wanted to see uh, Jen pull it out, but wasn't quite able to. I mean, down to the last shot in uh, both games against Team Homan. So congratulations to them. 
Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, listen, and we'll get Jen on at some point to uh, kind of look back and uh, and talk about it, but it was emotional. I mean, it was great to see her daughters with uh, with her that are you know, a little bit older, I think, that could appreciate the impact that their mothers had on the sport. Um, Brett Lang, who's a friend, uh, who was Jen's husband, uh, was there being the uh, doing the role of supportive husband. And they will still play mixed, so we will see Jen at times, I'm sure, um, still competitively curling. And as far as what happens to that team, I think everything is sort of on the table. Of course, Mackenzie Zachariah stepped away from the team. They were a fivesome last year. Um, so I'm not sure whether the other players will, you know, maybe Mac will come back and they'll, uh, you know, be a foursome again or whether they go their separate ways. But all those young women um, on the team, Jen Jones, have very bright futures. And a shout out to Carly Burgess, who was playing third, but what an incredible sweeper she is, um, sweeping the rocks for all six stones. And, hey, just finishing up the curling conversation while we're talking about goats, um, Jennifer Jones, the greatest of all time on the ice, may I suggest that the legendary Vic Router is the best to ever do it. Um, you know, Don Whitman was an all-time legend, so maybe we won't say the best to ever do it, but... Vic has still got it, and nobody right now in the world of curling does it better, and he was on his game this weekend uh, with just incredible calls of two amazing matches. Uh, heavyweight tilts, if you will, going blow for blow between Holman and Jones. Yeah, make the final. Uh, legend, always <laughs> legendary stuff from from Vic Router. So, yeah, I, I love the TSN curling broadcast. So, uh, well done. Uh, well done for them. Uh, all, all week long out there in Calgary, it'll click a great event. Briar's coming up this weekend. Uh, I know we'll kind of get into some picks and uh, some odds on the lock shop later on this week. So make sure to check that out at noon uh, over on the Edmonton Sports Talk channel with myself and Dustin Nielsen before we get going on WST every day. And, uh, and you know what? I, this is a why not question of the day just before we get back to the Jets uh, for not Autocorp but Waverly and McGilvery. And we will not know the answer, but this is almost, I, I, I've got my take on this, but the question of the day, and Remus, if you can, do a poll on this. WSTers, what do you think gets better, more TV eyeballs, better ratings? Is it the Scotties or the Briar? I am really interested in and, and 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 maybe it was because we were watching last night and I'm thinking, what could the men possibly do to have this sort of drama, personality, all of that that goes into the Scotties and particularly that final. But I mean, I watched it all week long and I, and I find myself far more likely to jump on a weekday draw between these women's teams <clears throat> than I am with the men. Now, this might be very close. It might be significantly on either side. I really don't know. But I am interested in what you think has bigger TV ratings on TSN, the Scotties or the Briar. Uh, and then we will go back and we will find out. So uh, I'm just looking. Love them both. I mean, it can be both. But, I mean, at some point, one of them is going to be more. Phyllis says probably the Briar. In Bones We Trust says the Scotties. I think I would vote Scotty's. Like, uh, I don't know. I just think that this is not one of the sports that, you know, the level of competition or anything. I mean, it's basically the exact same game. And I think I might argue that in a lot of cases, the women's game is a little more interesting. 
and certainly I think has stronger personalities um, and you know, and iconic figures like a Jen Jones, not to diminish what the uh, what the men have. Anyways, Scotty's was amazing. Briar coming up. Maddie Dunstone representing uh, our province. I think Reed Carruthers is going to be there as well. So uh, we can kind of talk about that a little later on. We'll have to get Ted on. Ted can recap the incredible Scotty's Jennifer Jones career and tee up what's happening at the Briar. But uh, let's get to the Jets weekend. And we mentioned the Friday game, Reem. Um, you know, the team got up early. This really was the Nikolai Ehlers show. Um, game time decision and then scores two of the greatest goals. And, you know, we've talked, oh, how is he connecting with this line and whatnot? Well, I don't know if we can really take much of how he's clicking with his line because he literally did those two goals pretty much all on his own. And the second goal, going the full 200 feet, uh, 200 feet including the pass to himself off the wall and then scoring in between three Blackhawks will definitely be on the year-end highlight reel and uh, one of the goals of the year. Oh, yeah. I mean, we again, we talked all about him all week. When's he going to score? He's in slump. Who's he going to play with? And did it all himself. What was amazing to me was, uh, you know, on a team that kind of slumped a little after, you know, the, you gave up a 2 nothing lead, to Chicago, that I follow Monaghan Ehlers line in terms of shot attempts, extremely, extremely elite. 12, 4, 1 against. In terms of actual real shots on net, Huss, they didn't allow a shot on net uh, that line. They scored the two goals. Uh, so that line was gets a star for me. So uh, very well done. Hellebuck, uh, solid, Huss, uh, in terms of goals saved above expected, 2.09. He's he doing, was awesome. He was awesome on Friday night. He's doing his thing. So, you know, maybe mm-hmm. not the way you draw it up against Chicago, which has given the Jets a, a little trouble uh, this year. Bedard winning overtime. They had to, that close one uh, here. But, hey, you get the two points and move on. And big weekend for the Blackhawks. Uh, Chris Chelios, number retired. Nice ceremony there yesterday. But, yeah, it was a big one. Big one there for the Jets, and then you know had to quick turn around and come home uh, to play Arizona. Um, it, it just uh, as far as the Chicago game goes, <clears throat> um, listen, the team was up to nothing and was comfortably ahead. Uh, Logan Stanley, when when you're fighting for a spot in the lineup and you get the opportunity to play a couple games, you got to make the most of it. And I thought he was, I mean, he was okay at times, but putting that puck right on the stick of, I believe it was Seth Jones and then allowing Dickinson who albeit was cheating a little bit, but you need to be heads up on that when you're playing defense in the national hockey league to uh, quickly turn that around into a breakaway that went into the net, got Chicago back in the game. So that was unfortunate for Stan and Stan fans who were looking to see him establish himself in the lineup. Um, Needless to say, Nate Schmidt was in the next day, but Chicago brought it at the end. The Jets weren't able to clear the puck. Ehlers almost got his stick on it, got it out with the empty net. And the next thing you know, it's tied going to overtime. But it did. And this is going to be a similar refrain when we talk about tomorrow's game. Um, The top line for the Jets was not particularly good in that Chicago game. They did not generate very much. They spent a lot of time in their own end. And I, I, in particular, thought Kyle Connor had a really, really tough game. Um, he was not effective, and uh, 
then lo and behold, he goes out there and just ices the game in the first 25 seconds or so of overtime, Remus. I mean, I know there's a lot of talk about expected goals. Uh, some also talk about actual goals and Kyle Connor come overtime and we'll be having the same conversation when we talk about last night's game, able to be a difference maker in three on three and get that valuable second point for Winnipeg. Yeah, Friday night on five on five, us, that line was on for zero goals for and one against. Their share of the expected goals was 27.1%. And for we talked about this all last week, how that line just hasn't been, I don't know, it just hasn't been you know that great in terms of uh, owning the share of shots on net. However, those guys are all elite scorers. Uh, Connor and Shafley got great shots. Velarde as well, who didn't score on an um, unbelievable deke, which was like a backhand toe drag on a breakaway. Didn't score on that. So, and you know, they put they keep trying to put Shifley and uh, Connor together. And I think historically, those guys have been on the wrong side of uh, the percentage of shots on net. Um, so I wonder what if they just keep trying to roll it going forward because you know what early on the Jets were playing you know very well to their system they're out shooting opponents playing strong defensively and you just haven't really seen that the last couple of games but they do keep winning because of the power play and great goaltending so it's kind of the same story here uh, with both games on the weekend where the Jets you know aren't playing their best hockey like we've seen but they keep winning so. And they, they're scoring the power play, which they were not doing for a long time. So you're kind of conflicted here on how to feel. Do you want to say, you know, great process, but, oh, man, they played well. And, oh, you just couldn't get that lucky brain, couldn't score. Or you want what they've done, you know, finishing on the power play and, you know, maybe some parts at five on five that uh, are not your favorite. Well, here, listen, we wouldn't be having this conversation if the power play wasn't on the heater that it is on right now. Because and 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 maybe this is all things just the water coming to a level or kind of coming back to the mean. Because I think with the talent the Jets had and have thrown out there on five on four, it seemed almost impossible that they could have been as ineffective for as long of a period of time as they as they were. And I mean, there was an element of this has to turn around at some point, right? And it did. Um, and I think maybe we'd say the same thing about the uh, analytic numbers of that top line, although long-term, over a long period of time, I think the numbers tell you that the Jets often will give up more than they get. But again, what do you do with those chances? The Jets have Connor Hellebuck, and you know when it comes to offensive chances, Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor and Gabriel Velarde pretty good at finishing um and Velarde in particular uh, I thought well in both games but last night so dangerous I mean the hands on Gabe Velarde um with that goal that he scored on Sunday was uh, was something else but I mean Nikolai Ehlers was the star of the show along with Connor Hellebuck on Friday um they got the two points they got back home and they got ready for Arizona and tell me if you've heard this before Remus an early two-goal lead that was chipped away by a team that in a lot of ways had no business doing so. And then back into overtime and guess who Kyle Connor being the difference maker in OT scoring again early on the first shift before anyone else could even get on the ice. Yeah. Well that, that goal on um, Friday's overtime winner just sucked. Like as far as overtime winner goes, that was the most like anticlimactic overtime winner. Like you want to see Kyle Connor, if he's going to score a winner, you want it to be a highlight real goal with a dangle or a deke 
or even a one straight. We're complaining yes. about overtime goals. Well, now? I'm posted. Yeah, I'm, I I posted <laughs> on our social media account like uh, Paul Edmonds' radio call because we don't get to see him on TV. So I sync up the radio call with the TV call, and yeah, Friday's goal sucked. It was like, oh, it bounced off uh, Marcus Felino's brother and. Uh, you think you meant to pass, but it's in the net and the Jets win. And, you know, that's not exciting. You want to have a three-on-one. There's drama. Um, Josh Morrissey's you know, teeing Kyle Connor up for a gorgeous one-timer. That is how you want an overtime winner to go with a great celebration where you know that you intended to shoot the puck in the net. Not where you try to pass. Us and Santa, the puck bounces off a guy's leg. That's not exciting. So shout out to Kyle Connor for doing it right. Problems. Look at these first world problems. <laughs> well, we're actually uh, complaining about I, style points on overtime yes. winners. Never uh, did I think. You know what? This is. You know what? You're all privileged, privileged Jet fans, knowing that your team's <laughs> battling for first place, and you can complain. Yeah, wasn't or a nice winner about the quality Sorry. of OT uh, of OT goals. Well. Listen, the goals of the year maybe were the Ehlers goals earlier on. So the bottom line was get one in the net, which they did. Um, and then a nice one uh, nice one last night. Uh, we should quickly talk about one change that was made for mm-hmm. Friday's game that stayed. Um, oh, and Toron, we kind of get into this more with Rennie. Um, but a swap of Cole Perfetti and Alex Iafallo in the, uh, in the game on Friday. And you sort of mentioned that that line did not allow a shot against. I'm sure Rick Bonus liked that. I liked Iofalo's game in both games, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, but I'll say this. I thought Cole Perfetti, um, you know, handled the new line and the assignment actually quite well, playing with Vlad Demetstikov and Morgan Barron in the first game, and then a little less ice time with Monaghan out yesterday and Vlad moving up to line two and Kapari coming in. Um, but it certainly did seem to be a move that uh, helped the team, helped the second line. And as we've talked about Cole Perfetti, yes, he's in an extended slump right now. Um, but I think he as a young player is learning how to play through it and uh, didn't mind his game when he was out there as a fourth liner as opposed to where he's been on the top in uh, the top six for most of the year. Yeah, I like the lines Friday when you have Monaghan at center. You can put Nemestikov, a guy who's always oh, amazing. A guy goes from, oh, he's your fourth line center. Now he's your second line center. and he's. Seems to have chemistry with a lot of players. And, you know, Cole Perfetti is a good offensive player. And um, I think I like that. It. You know, it gives you some more balance there with the four lines. And for a young player who's having a slump. And I heard Ken, you know, on uh, K&R say, you know, maybe he doesn't look as, like, quick as he does. And, you know, he was injured last year. It is his first, you know, full season in the NHL. And he's in a bit of a slump. So take a little pressure off. And I think he can still make plays. Uh, down there on the fourth line, but I think it also gives the Jets a little balance. As you know, I follow the guy who's he's hit bingo. He's played on every line this year, and you know, maybe he elevates a little. And those guys were good on on Friday. The Monahan Ehlers, uh, I follow line, and you know, and Monahan what he was injured or he was illness. I wanted to speculate like what happened where like he had his equipment on and then had to go home. So you hope that he's okay. Uh, for tomorrow's game, doesn't sound too too serious. I don't, I was th- I'm not I don't gonna, know whether we really need to. We don't need to go all the things. We don't that need could to have go happened there. with yeah. his equipment on that then left left the game. <laughs> we don't need to get there. But I know you're worrying. This is going that, that ruined his chances for the 84 game yeah. regular season. Well, that that's why I was concerned. We talked about after he was traded how he could, was on pace if he played every game to play 84 games. So 
that's ruined now. I'm, they didn't do the Phil Kessel, maybe came on half equipment to get that game in, but you don't ha- see that too often when guys play more than 82. So he can still get to 83 if he plays every game, but uh, I don't think they're going to push it now. So uh, unfortunate has for the people like to look at the records, but fortunate for Monaghan that he was able to uh, get some rest there and try to recover from that illness. Um, you know what, here, let's just grab a couple bones clips quickly before uh, before Rennie comes in because, um, uh, you know, and, and, and you know what, maybe let's just play. We, we can have some of these other ones, but Remo, if you can get number six ready, because this is a question from Ren um, to bones on, I mean, listen, it's hard to ignore the fact, even though that they've won, and he will tell you that, you know, not all games are Picasso's, absolutely true. Um, despite these recent wins, these wins have not looked like Winnipeg Jet wins from earlier on in the season. Here's what Bones had to say to Rennie about kind of getting away from their structure. Rick, your team uh, has won vast majority of its games this year based on good systematic play. And it's also a team that has the capability for Helly to steal some games or for your skill to win games. Is there a concern that maybe as of late you've relied a little more on the latter two than than you have been on the system at times we, we were fine in chicago the other night we didn't give up much um yeah there's there's a little bit of that so we we've got it we can tighten it up we, when our structure breaks down and we'd like the other teams are coming at us but listen <laughs> we're the, we have the best winning percentage in the in the western conference so the little tweaks that we need to stay on top of we'll stay on top of yeah we're I, doing I, pretty good i guess that just to go a little bit deeper yeah. into that you staying on top of it like does it, is that something that you have to be concerned with is it something i'm that not you have concerned to about against? it do we have to stay on top of it yes it's going to happen you play 82 games every game is not a picasso it's not and when you see little things creeping in, we address it. So we'll stay on top of it. All right. So there is a bones. I'm getting the feedback cream. Oh, uh, okay. One sec. There is our pal Rick bonus doing his uh, thing after the game on uh, uh, yesterday. And there's more, um, but we're going to talk about it with Sean Reynolds. Before we do that, I mentioned uh, next this Thursday coming up sold out event at the Manitoba sports hall of fame with our friends at Canadian club for the Winnipeg whiskey festival Really looking forward to seeing everyone that jumped on that. And I know Eric Bayer got a bunch of tickets. We went to just squeeze that other one in and uh, look forward to seeing your gang there. Will the Canadian Club ambassadors to uh, teach us all about whiskey, enjoy some of it, have a few eats, and uh, hopefully watch the Jets take on the Dallas Stars in a, what should be a battle for first place. Of course, Canadian Club, proud sponsors of the Winnipeg Whiskey Festival. And when you're at your Manitoba Liquor Marts the next time, make sure to keep out for the keep your eyes out for the Canadian Club display, including the original 100% rye and the 12-year. And remember, when you're enjoying Canada's favorite Canadian whiskey, always do it responsibly. Um, shout out to our friends at Manitoba Battery, the battery experts in Manitoba, about to open their second location out in the south end of the city on Dover Court. Manitoba Battery has you covered with the best prices on batteries of all makes, models, sizes for all of your needs, beating the pants off the big box stores, and even better, we'll deliver it to you for free anywhere inside the city of Winnipeg with any purchase over 60 bucks. It's just that easy. We'll fill you in on the big grand opening of the new store in the coming days, but in the meantime, for all your man- battery needs, go to manitobabattery.com and hit them up at 204 783 87 87 and you can't visit them at 1026 logan avenue and fellas if you need to uh 
do a little maintenance on uh, on the lid. Only one place to go. We're eight, in fact, and that, of course, is Modern Man Barbershops. Eight convenient locations throughout the city, including the newest standalone locations on uh, Pemina Highway, right by Bishop, and on Plessy Road on the east side of the city. Modern Man has you covered, fellas, with great haircuts, beard shaping, shaves, color services, and more. For your next cut, make an appointment and book your look via modernmanbarber.com. And give him a follow on Instagram over at Modern Man Barbershops. All right, let's bring in Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet. Fresh off a busy week with Kenny on Kenny and Rennie. Rennie, how are you, man? It's great to have you back on WST. I'm doing great, Huss. It's great to be back. What? Um, so <laughs> there's a bunch of ways we can look at this. Um, people were freaking out when the team had lost six in a row or uh, five in a row. Um I will say that the wins coming out of the that slump against Pittsburgh and San Jose were not the biggest confidence instillers, if you will, because the team wasn't scoring. And we were like, where's the offense? What's happened to the power play? Well, the team's scoring goals. The power play is carrying the team right now. And the wins are coming. But I know certainly from the question we just heard from you to Rick Bonus, this hasn't exactly looked like the Winnipeg Jets that we saw for the majority of, say, the first 50 games of the season. Um, This is a business where it's about winning, and they've gotten wins, but where are you at on where the Jets are right now coming out of this run, heading into a big week in the division, including a game for first place, likely, on Thursday against Dallas? Well, you got to give the Jets credit where it's due. There's a lot of really good teams in the NHL that are struggling right now and having a tough time putting up points. And as the Jets have gone over the stretch of time, I couldn't agree with you more. The They've won six of their last seven games. Those first two wins weren't exactly confidence instilling. Their last two wins weren't exactly confidence instilling. So you're talking about four out of six wins that you're kind of like, nah, but they're wins and they're finding a way to get those wins. And when teams like Dallas are, are faltering and Colorado is faltering and Vegas still haven't fixed it, f- figured themselves out and Vancouver had lost four straight games. So give them credit. And to your point, you know, in they, they were at one time not scoring and couldn't get anything out of the power play and they were winning on defense. Now the power play is winning them games when they're looking a little shaky in their structure. This is literally the the team finding its way to win thing and we all know the saying good teams find a way to win um i thought rick bonus nailed that you can't play the kind of style that we saw them playing in december throughout the entire season and what i think is really good teams for the most part find ways to get rest during a year and then go into the playoffs playing at the very top of their game. So I think right now we can look at this, and I think Rick Bonus is right. You could look at the Jets and say they're getting points. Just be happy with that. Other than that, we're getting rest. We're not at the top of our game, but he doesn't think that they're that far off it, so it'll be easy for them to get to it. The one thing I would just say is, is for the Winnipeg Jets, they have a history in my mind of being a team that takes the foot off the gas pedal and then has a hard time finding it again. We saw that last year uh, where they had a great start to the season, then fell off the year before that they had the greatest start in franchise history and then turned around and got lost and missed the playoffs. 2019, this was a team that was dominating the league going into Christmas time and then started falling apart in the second half of the year. It's common for the jets to do this. So I, I think 
this is one of those things where people who just get mad at us for drilling down into wins and criticizing wins are going to have to continue to get mad because what I need to see is someone who's covered the jets for as many years as I've covered. And I'm thinking you need to say this, see the same thing Hus, is I need to see that the jets prove come playoff time that they're the team that says, okay, we know how to play. We don't have to play that way all year. We can get our rest, but we know how to turn it on when it counts and when it's time. The Winnipeg Jets haven't been the team and they don't really have it in their DNA as being the team who figures it out at the right time and gets going. So I guess the only thing I can say is what I'm seeing from the Jets lately doesn't instill confidence in me that they're a team that's going to succeed at the playoffs, but I don't think it means that they won't. I do think that, you know, Rick Bonus seems to have this figured out. I think this team knows where its bread is buttered, how it needs to play to win. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say they get there um, in the playoffs this year, but you can't turn and get upset with Jets fans out there who are feeling like maybe doom is around the corner because these kind of games, the Jets you know, just barely getting by teams that are struggling is something, it's a game they've loved to play over the years. And usually that game doesn't play out well for them. Okay. Let me take the other side of this because everything you said is true. And I mean, you look back at, you know, the second half of seasons and some real lulls in January and February that have really cost the team and put them in a precarious situation into March and to April. Um, And listen, we heard a lot of it during the five game winless streak sandwiched around the all-star break and that was legitimate this team's now won six of their last seven yeah i mean the one thing that didn't happen during those times that we've talked about before is winning and getting the two points when they really needed it like it's march on friday so can we maybe say that this team has shown that well listen you're not going to be at your best each and every night that in this situation where they did sort of find themselves with their backs against the wall They've done what they needed to do to win games, and that is the sign of, frankly, a good hockey team. Well, but I don't think we haven't seen this before, Huss. I think the Winnipeg Jets for a long time has been the... How how many times have the Jets pulled off these miraculous late comebacks? How many times have we seen them? The year of the Canadian division, they started doing it down the stretch before they went on that seven-game losing streak. Ottawa was lost that year, and every time they played Ottawa, they went into it, and it was this tough, tough game until... And then they'd pull it out in overtime, and there'd be big smiles, and we'd be talking about how they found ways to win and all these kind of things i guess what i'm saying is i i I think you're entirely right and 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 i don't think they're the same team as last year and the reason i don't is because i see them sticking to their structure whereas last year they completely abandoned their structure last year that team got lost the year before that that team got lost so that's why i say i'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they i think they find it at the right time because they really haven't strayed that far from it but The Winnipeg Jets are a team in the past where the precursor to them not playing well is usually them playing exactly like they're playing right now. And Hus, we don't have to go that far to look back at it. We need to go and look at their stretch of hockey before the five-game losing streak that they had because they went out and they barely snuck one past Chicago and they went in when Ottawa was still struggling and they they pulled one out, an overtime win against... uh, against Ottawa and in that stretch of games they had some kind of crazy stretch of games where they played 10 games 
And seven of those games had been against the six bottom teams in the league. So the Jets were squeaking by and getting by comeback wins uh, against, you know, in the Kyle Connor game where he got hurt, a comeback win against an Anaheim Ducks team. That is not very good. They lost one to the San Jose Sharks there. So the precursor typically to the Jets not playing well is this. It's them squeaking by not very good teams. And then when the schedule gets a little harder, they have trouble adjusting. So what I've never seen from the Winnipeg Jets team before is that they are this team that can do this and then flip the switch and be right on top of it. Now, last year, they turned things on a little bit last year going into the playoffs, and then they went in their first game against Vegas. They looked like they were going to run Vegas out of the building, and then things turned against them, and they weren't a very resilient team. So I guess for me, that's why I'm concerned with this. Yes, they're winning. Am I nitpicking? You're damn right. I am nitpicking like absolute crazy. But I think the Winnipeg Jets over the years, the very core of this team as it exists have given us reason to nitpick about this. So that's why I do it. Listen, I'm not trying to ruin all you fans out there at the time. They're go- they've gone six and seven. I'm not trying to ruin their climb up the standings. I'm not trying to be that guy who says, you know, like, well, they're a good team, but they're a good team. If they play the way they can play, they're going to do very well this year in the playoffs. That's the way I see it. I just think that, Playing like this right now is not something to me that instills confidence in this team. I'm going to say, I'm going to assume that it's them just catching some rest, catching a breather in the middle of the year. But in times past, the Jets have taken breathers and then they forgot to get back into the race. Uh, I'll say this. The the emergence of the power play has definitely been a good thing. And, you know, I don't know. There's many times where I've been listening to you and Ken afterwards. You could say, well, they played a really great game. They were awesome at five on five and special teams cost them that game. And now (laughs) I was grabbing a drink uh, in between periods. And there were some guys that I was talking to uh, just in line. And uh, we kind of said, well, you know, we're talking about the Chicago game a little bit and what we've seen so far. And I said, oh, good thing. They've got the best power play in the league all of a sudden. And (laughs) yeah, I mean, it it, it is. And again, there's different ways of winning games. And this is a different way that the team has been winning. And what you hope is that come playoff time, the team can lean on the successes of the five on five play, knowing they can't get the power play and you get that all going together at the most important time of the year. Digging down a little deeper, though, there's been a lot of talk about the Jets' top line, and it's kind of a hilarious conversation because, listen, I was watching the game on Friday night, and I said to my pals that I was watching the game with, I mean, Kyle Connor has been terrible tonight. I mean, I just thought that he had a really, really rough game. Nothing was happening for him. The passes were being missed. And then he goes out and scores the winner. Of and course, does the yeah. exact same thing last night, although I don't think like I don't think he struggled on Sunday the way that he individually did on Friday night. And then, you know, you look at all these numbers of expected goals and how the lines, you know, has not been getting their share of time in the offensive zone. And then I pull up his game score and I realize he's got two goals, one goal, four, four goals in the last three games, 10 points in his last five games. I'm like... Should people be worried about this line or should people be going like, yeah. this line is on fire? Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Um, and I think to the degree when the conversation that we just had about where the Jets are and maybe a reason for, for concern. I'm not the biggest analytics guy in the world, but I think the analytics community is similarly seeing 
things that I'm seeing, just arriving there from different conclusions. But what they're seeing as a line is what they're doing is unsustainable. But in the meantime, they just keep winning and winning and winning. And I guess the argument I would have is if you take a look at really good players throughout the history of the game, I'm sure there were stretches of hockey at times when maybe Wayne Gretzky's line, if you had the analytics back in those days, wouldn't look that good. And yet somehow he's always ending up on top, right? And maybe Mario Lemieux would have gone through the same thing. And Steve Eiserman, all the greats that a lot of us grew up watching. If the analytics were around in those days, there'd probably have been a lot of times during really important seasons that we look back on and think, man, were they dominant that year, that they went through stretches of a hockey where they weren't that dominant. Dominant, right. Well, I think it's got to be very, very hard for a coach to take a look at the analytics. And I think the analytics community is bang on on this one. The Winnipeg Jets top line has been getting outperformed by other lines everywhere except on the scoreboard where it matters most. And and so I think it's got to be really hard for a coach to say, well, you know, their their goals per 60 isn't where I'd like it to be. Now, I know they won us the last three games, but I'd like that analytic <laughs> number to bump up a little bit. So we're going to break up that line, right? I, you just can't do that as a coach. I, a lot of what you do with coaching and athletics in general is it's intuitive. It's a feel. And right now, the feel that that line has is they're not going to be the most the prettiest line out there and they're going to get socked in their zone and things aren't going to be that great. But they're going to find a way to win the game. And sometimes you have to turn to your best players and say, "If you, hey, if you're finding a way to win, in the, win the game, I'm not going to get in front of that. I think that's happening with the Winnipeg Jets top line right now. Now, if the worm turns in this and suddenly they have a hard time putting the puck back in the net again, if they keep playing like they're playing right now, then they're going to start losing the battle with the opposition. They're going to start getting outscored and it's going to be a problem. That's something you address at that time. So... This is another one of these things. I, 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 this is another way of saying right now the success and the goals of that line and them winning is hi- hiding some warts right now. And I think it's the same thing that I was saying earlier on. The Winnipeg Jets have won six of seven. Those wins right now, they may be winning, but they're hiding warts right now. But it's really hard, I think, if you're a coach to go and tell to, to tell your players, listen, we're winning hockey games, but I'm going to tear it down and build it back up again because I don't like how we're winning hockey games or I don't like how you are outscoring your opposition. I just don't think you can do that. You have to ride whatever the wave is and then gather when things start, when the wave runs out and then find a new way to do it at that time. Yeah, and I mean, Bones defended. Like, I, I did think that that shift that they just skated around in their own end as and it was in the second period, so you had the opposite changes and Arizona was able to change guys. Um, but that ended up, eventually in the back of the net, I believe it was Maselli yes. that scored that goal. Yes. And I think you can really look to that period of time in the hockey game that sort of turned it in the favor of the Arizona Coyotes and they, and they went forward. And I think, you know, to your point about the challenges from a coaching staff perspective of, you know, trying to get more and change a line that is statistically, like maybe not expected goals, but real actual goals yes. uh, is performing at a big level. I mean, those video conversations and the video work is probably where it comes in the most in kind of going shift by shift. And, you know, you're realizing, geez, there's not a lot happening. We didn't have the puck. We were chasing around. But then having that confidence in the ability to make the most of those chances. And, I mean, there's no doubt that they want to get more out of that line. Um, 
and when I say get more out of it, I'm not meaning scoring because that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. But just have the puck a little bit more um, and not be spending as much time defending because I, I think we all know, especially uh, Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor in particular, um, those guys are the best when they're in the other team zone, when they have the puck and um, would not be referred to as defensive stalwart. So though I will say, I think early on, at least in the first half of the season into about that time where things started getting a little shaky around the all-star break, um, they certainly had improved their work in that department. But there's been a lot of things that have gotten gotten away on it. Um, going into this period this weekend, the big talk was on Nikolai Ehlers and Cole Perfetti. And I had said that, listen, I've got a lot of time for talking about Ehlers on that top line. Um, but yeah. Ehlers is going to need to show more to put himself in the position because he had not been playing very well over the course of the couple of weeks. Um, we certainly weren't saying that on Friday night. I mean, Ehlers with a, uh, I said it on the show, listen, this could be a perfect opportunity for a real get right game for those players. It went very differently for the two. Ehlers stole the show on the top line and on a line that once Alex Iafalo went in in Cole Perfetti's place, did not allow a shot on goal against. And meanwhile, Perfetti ended up on the fourth line. I thought actually played quite well, played less yesterday um, with Kapari in the lineup. But thoughts on Ehlers and Perfetti's weekends, um, starting off with Ehlers sort of breaking out on Friday and uh, where Cole is at right now with that move to the fourth line. Yeah, it's tough to see where things are going with Ehlers just because, like you'd said, he had that breakout game and it looked like we were finally starting to see, okay, him and Monaghan are starting to understand how to play with each other. And now, because Monaghan's success has been largely uh, on the power play and Ehlers' success on that line that they were, it was basically two individual efforts. So you can't really say now the second line is banging. But I did see things happen in that game where I started to see two players who are gaining some confidence and feeling comfortable, uh, you know, Monaghan more so feeling comfortable on the team and kind of figuring it out, out his way. I was interested in seeing that. And Aya Fallow adds that defensive element there that maybe you can get, you know, it's like almost a perfect balance thing. Aya Fallow can score, but he gets you a really great defense. Right in the middle of it, Sean Monaghan is kind of a perfect hybrid of both. He's able to score, but he's able to defend. And then on the other hand, you've got some super high-end offensive talent in Nick Ehlers, and maybe it all comes together and it works. So it was unfortunate last game Sean Monaghan couldn't play because I think that would have really kind of colored in for us where that line is heading. And if there's room for them to grow, I think there's room for them to grow. The Perfetti thing is tricky because I agree with you, Hussey didn't look bad on that fourth line the other night. Last night, he uh, he didn't have you know as much of a game as I thought he would. But it's one of those things where the fourth line, it all depends on what you want it to look like and you want what you want it to be. And because you've got Morgan Barron as a staple on that line, it kind of locks in what you want that line to be. Now, because Nemesnikov can be there, Nemesnikov's that guy who can play both offensive and defensive. So maybe he's the saving grace for Cole Perfetti on that line. And maybe because he left that line and Rasmus Kapari takes over, who's just very much a straight line player who hasn't shown much in the way of offensive capability. That's why Perfetti doesn't show as well. 
the trick I th- think the thing I think is tricky with Perfetti is if Nemeskov's there, there's probably a place for him to to be there and add that little bit of offensive. Maybe you start getting some goals from the fourth line because you've got this first round pick who's super super hockey IQ may find a way to pick apart fourth lines and add some value offensively there that you wouldn't expect. But sometimes you're just going to want a fourth line to go out and just run the other team around. That doesn't work well for Cole Perfetti. So if Cole Perfetti finds that the second line clicks and Ayafalo stays there, he's not going to the third line because he doesn't fit that line's identity. And the third line operating at highest capacity, you don't want to break that up. So if the only place for you is the fourth line, now if you're Cole Perfetti, you are subject to what Rick Bonus wants in the opposition that they're playing. If you need a heavy line that can skate hard and forecheck, he probably doesn't make it into the lineup that game. So the one thing I see about Cole Perfetti is we may be getting to a spot where you see him interchanged and sometimes spending some time in the press box uh, because what they want from the fourth line, he doesn't necessarily fit. Um, Ren, one of the other moves on the weekend was on the blue line and uh, Logan Stanley had gotten in for a couple of games. He was sort of front and center on the goal that got Chicago back into the game. And then Nate Schmidt was put back into the lineup. And I don't know about you. I thought Schmidt had a great game yesterday. I thought he was noticeable. I thought he was impactful. I thought he was playing with some confidence and adding some uh, oomph, uh, a little bit of offense to, uh, to that pairing. Um, Now that we've seen Stanley pop in again for a couple games and then out, how do you see this going forward for uh, the remainder of the season? Does he get back into some games or is this just in case of emergency break glass depth player that will play if guys ahead of him are unable to uh, suit up? I think he gets back in, but I think you nailed it there with Schmidt because Schmidt never left the lineup because he gave them a reason oh. to to leave. Logan Stanley got in because, you know, because of something that had nothing to do with Nate Schmidt, but he finds himself as the number six defenseman. Uh, because Dylan gets suspended, they need someone to come into the lineup and Logan Stanley comes in and he looks good. So what happened in that time is Logan Stanley earned himself a shot and Nate Schmidt, the role that the, the predicament he finds himself in is he's the sixth guy and all of a sudden if a guy pops in the lineup and gives coaches reason to say I'd like another look at that guy well Nate Schmidt doesn't have to do anything wrong he just finds himself out of the lineup that's his lot in life where he stands right now but it works both ways. For Logan Stanley, his lot in life is because he's a seventh guy. If he can get in and show reason to keep him in, he's going to get some games. He's going to have a guy pulled out of the lineup to make space for him because the coaches want to see more from him. But the problem with Logan Stanley over his career hasn't been that he hasn't at times shown that he's big and bad and strong and can defend and do all those things and really make an impact. His problem is exactly what we saw and what you explained in that game against Chicago in that he turns around and makes a bonehead, I don't want to say a boneheaded mistake, but he makes a mistake, gives the puck away, and then allows his man past him to get in for the breakaway, and the game turns in that moment. And Nate Schmidt isn't making mistakes that turn games against the Winnipeg Jets, and Logan Stanley came in, and he did. It's razor thin the margin for error where these guys sit as the sixth and seventh defensemen. And Logan Stanley showed again in that game why he's not able to stick full time because he makes the kind of mistakes that turn a game in the favor of the opposition. So 
what I see happening here is maybe he's going to get in time, you know, here and again. Uh, but right now, if I'm taking a look at the, the the work that both of them have, and quite clearly the sample size is much smaller with Logan Stanley, but that small sample size checks in with what we've seen from him in years past. If I'm a coach, I'm looking at this and I'm saying in the end, Schmidt is the safer option. So when it becomes important, Schmidt is going to be the guy who's gone with. Yes, I think Logan Stanley will get in here, here and again, but unless he gets in and starts doing some really amazing things, I think Schmidt has shown, even though he's not where they've wanted him to be, he's still ahead of where Logan Stanley is in the safer option for a team that will need that down the stretch. Yeah, and it's interesting. Ed from Canada saying Stanley was being showcased for possible trade. I guess we'll see. I'm sort of of the opinion that the Jets, you know, would feel comfortable and would like to have Stanley as a seventh, eighth defenseman in the playoffs. And if you have to go down that depth chart, he'd be a guy that they know that they can play. But just on our way out on that topic, do you think that the Jets will add a blue liner? Uh, obviously, Billy yeah. Hanel is in, in, in the mix, and you could potentially have him. And I would argue that, listen, I, I'd go with the six the Jets have right now. I think the Sandberg-Schmidt pairing has proven all year long that they are very competent to play that role, and the, the numbers will tell you the same thing. If one of those guys were out, I personally, and I think a lot of people would like to see Billy you know, get an opportunity to get back in there, probably ahead of Logan Stanley. But there's the possibility that I think we have to realize this is somewhat, could be somewhat of a lost season for Hanela considering missing the first year and not necessarily going right in and being a player in the playoffs. So as it pertains to the deadline on the blue line, you think that they'll make an ad and will it be a depth guy that wouldn't even be in the top six, but just plays maybe ahead of Stanley if somebody gets hurt? I think they do. Um, I, I'll just touch on Vili Hanla quickly because I think, you know, Vili Hanla had earned a spot in the lineup. This is a timing issue that I think is just terrible for him because he gets injured and that injury carries him so deeply that you're getting close to the uh, to, to the the trade deadline where you have to make a decision. If you if you're a team that thinks you're you've got a chance at winning the Stanley Cup, you need to take care of all your holes by that point in line. And the problem with Vili Hanla at this stage is yes, he made the team out of camp. And he had earned a spot, but then he fell out, and he hasn't he hasn't been in the lineup. And even though he did make the make the Jets opening day roster, they still don't know what he looks like for the duration of an NHL season. They still haven't seen from him what he looks like with a twenty game audition with the Winnipeg Jets. So because of that, he remains a question mark. Even if he came back and hopped into the lineup tomorrow and started showing well, there's only a certain amount of games before the trade deadline that he can show. And then, well, maybe after the trade deadline happens, we start to see, and we've seen this all the time, Hus, players come into the league and they play on adrenaline for a little while. And then when they settle into the routine, you see that there's some things they need to work on. The Jets can't make that mistake with Billy Hanla. They need to be assured that they've got things taken care of. So because we're having this conversation about Nate Schmidt uh, and Logan Stanley and that it's you know not ideal, they may feel there's a little bit of uh, ability to get better there. If they can go out and find a really solid defenseman, probably one with 
his size, probably one that brings some stability uh, to, to the lineup. And one that, you know, is that kind of guy who just does not let players get to the front of the net. I think there's a real value in that. And then you kind of shift guys downwards in the lineup and they fit in. And 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 then they look even the guys you have in your lineup look even better because they're le- playing less difficult minutes down the stretch, which really, really plays out with defense over the course of the playoffs. You can see that happen. So Billy Hanlon's timing is absolutely terrible he they, go buy a rabbit rabbit's foot villi because the luck hasn't been there for you to get your showcase there but yeah i do see uh the addition of a defenseman because i think the jets want to make sure that they're ironclad going into the playoffs and whether as good as they've played i think adding that extra guy gives you that much more assurance on the back end Rennie, great chat as always. Uh, it, uh, I, I always love KNR uh, after the, the games, but I think tomorrow will be a really interesting one with the commissioner in town. Uh, obviously, there's lots of Jets conversations on the ice and off the ice that we're having right now, and it uh, should be a very interesting one when you and Kenny fire it up after tomorrow's game against the St. Louis Blues. Thanks again for doing this as always. Great to have you on the program, and I'll look forward to hearing from you and uh, Kenny tomorrow. No problem. Say say hi to my main, main man, Hammy, for me, please. Will do. He's uh, coming up next, Jeff Hamilton from the Winnipeg Free Press. And, you know, we'll get into some more Jets talk on and off the ice with Hammer, as well as some CFL talk, a big, big story that we're still sort of waiting for more information on out of Toronto. Um, but, of course, tomorrow is a big day here in Winnipeg. There is that fan forum with, uh, with K- Commissioner Gary Bettman, He'll also be uh, working and, I believe, speaking to members of the business community uh, right now. We talked about it last week uh, extensively. If you missed Norva Riddell on the program last Wednesday, check out that program for a little bit more details. But right now, as the Jets work uh, tirelessly to uh, get that season ticket base up back to where they need, um, it is the promotion going into the playoffs where if you put a deposit down on a package for next season, um, you'll get priority playoff tickets. And uh, we know how amazing the playoffs are here in Winnipeg. So, um, you know, I'll, again, we'll talk about this more as we go forward. But go to winnipegjets.com slash deposits for all information. You can find the seating map. Um, take a look at season tickets starting at $40 for a get-in price uh, for next season. Um, and uh, most importantly, get to... Uh, be on board when uh, the team certainly needs you. And at the same time, count yourself in for some whiteouts ahead of the general public come playoff time. Again, that's winnipegjets.com slash deposit. I've got to thank our friends at Wallace and Wallace for their great support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. Spring is just around the corner, and we're going to be seeing those fences and trucks all over the city as Wallace and Wallace is the fencing and overhead door specialist in Winnipeg doing it since 1946. Um, they're also the leaders in overhead garage doors. And listen, I think this next week is going to be a perfect example of it where it goes from plus six to minus 14, literally in just a few hours. Winter is the time that puts much more stress on your garage door. And the right time to prevent downtime is now. You can give Wallace and Wallace a call to book your maintenance and inspection service call today for residential and commercial overhead door sales and service and fencing there's only one name or two you need to know that is wallace and wallace and uh hey a shout out to our friends at f apparel um we uh, are getting into believe it or not the wedding season planning is in full effect right now 
Guys, if you're looking ahead to spring and summer and realize that uh, it's about time you up your menswear game, there's only one place you need to go, and that is F Apparel over at 190 Smith Street. Custom suits beginning at 400 bucks, along with chinos, golf pants, custom shirts, both tucked and untucked styles, and an incredible selection of menswear accessories. And if you are getting married or in a wedding party, make sure to talk to the guys at F about a 15% discount when the fellas get their suits for the big day at F Apparel. Again, 190 Smith Street downtown. Find out more online or make an appointment at F, that's E-P-H, apparel.com. All right, let's get the hammer in here and keep the show on the road. Again, Mike DeCestefano, a.k.a. Al's brother from Overdrive, coming on a little later on. We're going to talk about that crazy sale of the uh, box of hockey cards, a case of hockey cards for almost 5 million Canadian on the weekend. But uh, it's hammer time on, on WST. It's not Monday without it. How are you? How was the weekend? Haas, the weekend was uh, the weekend was good. Listen, I want to get to a, a couple of Jets topics with you, and you know we'll get to the off ice in a second. But um, you know, like we were just chopping it up with Rennie. I mean, it's been uh, the team had lost five games in a row. It was like okay, there's a lot of people thinking doom and gloom. The team hasn't looked great over the course of the last couple of weeks, and yet they've won six of seven games. The underlying numbers for the top line look ugly. Kyle Connor's got 10 points in his last 10 games. Mark Scheifele's had a couple four-point games. Josh Morrissey's got nine assists. By the way, was the number one star in Jets this week with Connor Rabchak. Check that out on the WST feed and channel if you haven't already. Um, but uh, where are you at on, uh, like, has the team bounced out of that slump? Are they still sort of in it, but yet finding a way to win games? I mean, uh, there, there's a lot of a hot and cold depending on who you talk to right now about the club. But the bottom line is they've got a game against St. Louis and then a game on Thursday against the Dallas Stars, which is likely going to be for first place, not to mention the games they have in hand on Colorado and Dallas. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I, I, I heard Sean's uh, hit um, in the last segment and, you know, he's, I don't want to say he, you know, even said it. it's not like he's trying to be the doom and gloom guy and whatnot by, you know, acknowledging the fact that the Winnipeg Jets, while you know, on a three-game win streak right now, just haven't been playing, you know, that style of hockey that we saw them play for a majority of the season, and I mean that's been that dominating five-on-five game. I mean this, you know, the, um, but it's funny to me because you know when you're complaining, you know, when the five-on-five game was was the tops, you know, among uh, tops in the NHL or one of the tops in the NHL it was the power play that sucked. It was the power play that wasn't getting the job done. Now, you know, and I've seen this sentiment on social media. I've seen the sentiment among my friends and family members who, who watch the Jets. Um, now when the Jets go out to a power play, the, the expectation is that they're going to score. And that's really what we've seen is a, is a boon in, in special teams, particularly on that, on that power play unit. And that's, in some cases, won them games, right? And so, you know, I don't know if you can – I don't know if I'd look at this team and, and, and be worried about them. I, I just think it's it's one of those – everyone's getting better right now. Everyone's getting more desperate right now. So the fact that the Jets are are carving out victories at a time where, you know, the the, the intensity is, is expected and has ramped up is a positive thing. And I think what's less convincing about some of the victories is who they're up against. And so – you know, if you you know, beating Chicago is different than beating Dallas. And that's kind of the beauty of this league, right? I mean, you win one game, you're the best team in the world, you lose a game, you're the worst team in the world. Well, if you beat a team like Dallas coming up here, then you answer some of those questions um, that maybe some fans have, some media have. Um, and that 
concern, if you will, and, you know, I'll piggyback off what Sean said last segment was, it's just because we've seen enough in the past to, in some ways, be concerned about the future. And, and, and whether that applies this year, we don't know because we haven't gotten there yet. But um, I do think the Jets are obviously a good team. They're getting good goaltending. Um, you know, I still find it funny when, when Connor Halbuck doesn't have a good night. It's just like, you know, those people go right back to kind of throwing them under the bus. But um, I do think this team insane. has... He's like a lock has, for the Vezina Trophy Well, right exactly. Now. And I mean, guys aren't, you know, and that's the case for everybody, whether you're in net or whether you're out, you know, like you're not going to have your best game every every night. And so, you know, but I, the, the Jets have, and I've, I've, I've said this in the past, and I've, you know, I, it's something they haven't, they weren't able to do. Like the Jets have earned where they are right now, regardless of... You know, how streaky they will be in some areas, how dominant they've been. You know, they had obviously that losing streak not too long ago um, that had people down. But the Jets have earned their position. They've earned to be in this spot this late into the year to compete for the tops of, of the Central Division, to compete for the top of the Western Conference, to compete for that President's Trophy. And so, you know, it's hard to kind of look at their game and, and, and see them as that same dominating team, just because maybe other teams are getting better. The, the, again, people are, teams are getting more desperate as we get closer to playoffs here, jockeying for position in the standings. But I do think that the Jets need to find a little bit more consistency here. I think if you're not just fans of this team, if you're players on this team, you want to be going into the playoffs playing consistently, not having question marks in your game. And while there are not a lot of questions in the Jets game, per se, compared to previous years, um, you want less questions because, you know, that this team's going to be a contender if they're going to, you know, battle with the New Yorks, with the, uh, you know, the Dallas Stars, you know, they're going to battle with the top teams in the NHL. They need to have, you know, fewer question marks. And so, and, and you know, I don't, I'm not put, put pushing the panic button. I don't think anyone should really be pushing the panic button. Um, but this is an interesting time of year. I mean, this is the part where the Jets need to find a new level. So they're getting the victories. I think what um, we need to see now is is more of that commitment back to the defensive side, five on five. And at the same time, if they can do it, hold on to this momentum that they've had on special teams. Because wowee, man! I mean, if if we've seen that, you know, we've seen the Jets at their best five on five, and now we're seeing them arguably easily, actually, the best that they've been on the power play. If they can somehow find a way to marry those two things, this could be a very dangerous team and an exciting one come the spring. Yeah, that's certainly what you know. Rick Bonus and his coaching staff will look to uh, have uh, entirely locked in for Game 83 of the regular season. Um, you know, it is funny looking at the standings right now. I mean, um, you know, obviously, if you just go to overall standings, the Jets are in fifth or sixth, uh, but they've got games in hand on everybody. And you look at points percentage, and uh, they're just a smidge below the Florida Panthers, um, who are at a and 690 everyone clip. Up top is kind of going through it right now, right? All the, all the, like Vancouver's going through it right now. I mean, there's teams that are, you know, yeah, you in get the, the West, target on sure. your back, you're going to go through it. In the West, for sure. In the East, they're. A little Florida and the there. Rangers are are kicking ass right now. The yeah. Rangers just lost one. They they won they won nine yeah. in a row before that. Uh, yeah, they lost to sure Columbus. They, didn't hit 10? I think they, they lost to Col- they lost to Columbus yesterday. That was the yeah. Uh, so they had their tenth win though. I think they got their tenth win on oh, okay. the previous game. I think they nailed which might have been a franchise record or might have tied one. But I know they hit ten. Yeah, and the Florida's eight and two. And Florida, like I, I watched that Florida Carolina game last week. And and listen, if, if we want to talk about teams that are ready for the playoffs, and guess what, you don't need to be ready for the playoffs in the last week in February. You need to get there and to be at that spot. But Carolina and Florida played a one nothing game that had about eighty shots on goal, brilliant goaltending, back and forth. It was just an unbelievable hockey game. 
And I remember watching that game going, well, this is this is a step up or two from what we've seen from the Jets, eh, mostly in this last little run. I mean, I certainly love the game they had last Saturday against the Vancouver Canucks. They unfortunately followed that up with a dud. But after that Calgary game, as much as you could probably look at the 60-minute body of work and say there's a lot of things you'd like to get better, um, you beat Minnesota, you beat Chicago, you beat Arizona, you get the job done, and you're in this position right now. But we are in a position where we're looking ahead to the trade deadline. We're looking ahead to the stretch to the playoffs and trying to see where this team is at right now. And I think we can all agree, and Rick Bonus said it himself, that you know the five-on-five play has not quite been at the level that this team's established. But so much talk about the top line, and Kyle Connor seemed to be in a pretty extended slump, was getting some heat. The expected goals, as we've talked about, have not been very good. They have been you know, on the wrong end of the ledger on most nights. I thought Connor had a really rough night in Chicago on Friday. And yet there he is popping the overtime winner in back-to-back games. And, oh, look at this. After that long slump, he's got 10 points in the last five games. Like, where are you at on the production, the play, and what the Jets have in that top line, especially after Nikolai Ehlers made a pretty big statement on Friday night that um, he's back and capable of more that he'd been putting out at the same time. Yeah, I mean... That line is going to be that line has been the question, not question mark in the sense that you don't have options, but it's been the question all season long, especially when you had Kyle Connor leave and you had Nikolai Ehlers join that group with Velarde and and, uh, and Mark Shifley, and, and they were arguably the best line in the league. So there's always going to be that memory in the back of your you know fans' heads. Um, but you know Kyle Connor, he's an interesting guy, man. I mean, he's you know goals are king in the NHL, and you know you'll hear GMs talk about it, you'll hear people around the league talk about it you pay for goals um you don't ever hear you know guys get paid for playing defense for sure like, i mean there's guys that made a career off playing you know forwards that are playing on the defensive side of the game they're just not making the money that kyle connor's making and so it's hard to kind of you know i don't know where i stand with that to be honest with you like you obviously want to see a commitment to the defense a better commitment to the defensive side of the game you you know that whole idea like when we were watching the jets just absolutely dominate the league through the first half. Everybody looked exactly like each other. Each line, you know, obviously bring di- different things to the table, but structurally looked exactly the same. You're not seeing that as much anymore, I think. You're seeing costly errors um, happen. You saw them with Nikolai Ehlers, and we talked about this last week, where some of that punishment, whether it's a Cole Perfetti or Nikolai Ehlers versus, a you know, a Kyle Connor or a Mark Shifley or whatever, that sometimes that discipline off errors is, is, uh, is not doled out the same. Um, but that, that being said, you know, you can get, you can be upset if you're Rick bonus, you can be upset with Kyle Connor's defensive side of his game and you can have these conversations with them. But if he's scoring goals that are quite literally winning you games, there is a bit of that given, give and take, I think from the coach and player relationship. I just think when you look at that line, um, depending on how the jets want to attack the playoffs, you want to have better, you know, when you start getting, when you start playing against the more complete teams, as you start advancing more and more in the playoffs, it's not, you know, it's not that one dominating line on the, on the opponent that you, that you necessarily want to put on with, 
your, you know, with your, you know, the Adam Lowry line to shut down. And that doesn't even take into consideration when you're on the road and you don't get last change. So you, you know, you're, you're, you know, you, as Kyle Connor, as a guy on the top line, you're going to have to play against the other team's top line and you need to be responsible in those, in those situations. So certainly there's something to be said about the improvement. You know, you, you mentioned the underlying numbers on the defensive side of the game with Kyle Connor. Um, but again, if he's, you know, if he's scoring goals, it's, I imagine it's a bit less, lesser of an issue. It's still an issue, but it's lesser of an issue. But you know, that, that, that top line in general, I, you know, we'll see what happens here. You know, I, I saw, what was it? Was it, was it Mark or Nikolai Ehlers gave the jacket to Mark Shifley in the locker room afterwards? You know, maybe, you know, maybe who knows? I, I all I know is that the jets have options for that top line. Um, but they definitely need to get production out of that top line. Well, they those... need production out of the second line too. And, and that's Absolutely. what was a concern when Ehlers and Perfetti were in that extended slump. And certainly Sean Monaghan has brought a lot. It was unfortunate not to see them be able to go right back to that line last night after the performance they had, because while the goals, yeah. I mean, Nikolai Ehlers owned the highlight reel and, you know, was the man with those two incredible, incredible snipes. Um, they didn't allow a shot on net in that game. And, you know, listen, if Ehlers can have the puck and they can be being offensive and they can be having far more than their fair share of time with the puck in offensive zone, like that's, this team needs to have both of those lines being effective. And, and I still do think that when it comes down to it, I think that the coaching staff, and I'll be honest, I sort of feel this as well. I think that second line is a lot more dangerous with Nikolai Ehlers sort of being that offensive catalyst than, for instance, I, I think he adds a lot more and is able to spark things more himself than a Kyle Connor is, who, you know, certainly has all the attributes and he's a finisher and he does that. I'm not sure he does that as much himself, but I think that's sort of why they're going to give this more time with Monahan. What did you think of Ayafalo moving to that line, though, and uh, Perfetti moving to the fourth? Yeah, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with, with um, you know, where Perfetti's game was at and that it was kind of trending towards that way and that it wasn't going to be a third, like you weren't going to, you weren't going to put him on a third line with Adam Lowry's line because while he might add maybe a bit more scoring touch to that line, I don't think he, he, he gives you what you want out of that line, those grinding minutes, right? Those, that ability to play 200 feet in particular in your own defensive end, you know, creating offense out of your defense. And, and with so all the was, toughest matchups every exactly, night. Oh, exactly. And that's, yeah, exactly. And so, so I think, you know, it, it made sense to put them on the fourth line. Honestly, Huss, I think we're getting into a situation here that if the Winnipeg Jets, you know, view themselves as contenders, if they're going to be a contending team, I think you have to look at Cole Perfetti, maybe not being on your second line. Maybe that, you know, maybe having, and, and I don't say that necessarily there's someone in-house. Like if Cole Perfetti is on your second line, you can get, make that work, great. We saw a very small sample size earlier in the season where Cole Perfetti had, you know, 10 points in like eight games. If you look at his points now, I, I don't know how many he's added since I, I, I did this thing, but he had like 50, you know, 53, 54 points at a certain point, um, you know, um, or sorry, I mean many games, but like 16 of his points were, were in between, you know, the beginning of like the end of August and the end of, or sorry, the end of October and the end of November, it was like, uh, you know, he was scoring and we haven't really seen that from him. And I don't know if it's a confidence thing. I don't know if it's, if we're looking at a player here that just because of his injury past is hasn't, hasn't put forth that full 82 game season. And so maybe we're seeing 
things kind of fall off for him right now. Maybe some of the some of the endurance isn't there, and maybe that's Rick Bonus's ability to kind of let you know put him on the fourth line, which I know isn't a great demotion, isn't a great situation for him. You know, Cole Perfetti talked about wanting to be relied on this season, wanting to grow into that role. The conversation hanging into the into training camp was could he possibly be the guy that you know could center that second line well that conversation doesn't even exist anymore so I think it is an opportunity for kind of get his confidence back get his game back I don't think you know I don't think it's a great situation for him on that fourth line because I you know he's not playing with you know the I don't want to say caliber but I'll say it is the caliber I'm talking about and that's not to take away from you know those you know the David Gustafsons of the world and whatnot but this is a guy who's played top six takes a certain skill set thinking kind of being able to read off each other that isn't quite there and you know in, in the bottom lines or at least that's not the role you're being asked to so uh, you know it will be an interesting situation with Cole Perfetti I think the Jets still are actively looking to add you know at this deadline whether that be a top six forward if they can do that um, or or bringing in obviously D-men but Cole Perfetti you know it's it's really up to him at this point I mean this is you know this is the life of the NHL you need to earn earn your ice time you need to you know, you need to prove to your coach that you're capable of, of of playing in all situations. And right now, maybe some of that confidence is not there. I'm not saying it won't come back. I'm not saying that Cole Perfetti won't be viewed as a key piece. I mean, of course, he'll be viewed as a key piece in the playoffs. They need everybody to be a key piece for, for a big run. But um, I do think that maybe we're not seeing the maturity of Cole Perfetti. In, 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 and I don't mean that as a person. The guy's you know, probably more mature than most of the players on, in that roster. But the maturity in his game to be relied on for such an important top six role. Jeff Hamilton of the Winnipeg Free Press is with us. Uh, Hammer, let's get to everything happening off the ice. And uh, it'll be an interesting day tomorrow. The commissioner's coming to town. And again, the commissioner goes to every team over the course of the year. But uh, I, I don't think the timing is coincidental of uh, of Commissioner Bettman coming here. And listen, he might have more fans in Winnipeg than he does in a lot of other markets because, um, listen, this team wasn't coming back to Winnipeg if he wasn't behind it and made that happen. Um, but we're in a very different place than 2011. Um, and I have a feeling we're going to hear, uh, you know, just sort of some reinforcement of what he said in 2011 that this team is good to go as long as this team is the 13,000 season tickets. I'm just sort of your thoughts on the challenges that the team um, is going through right now, what we might get out of tomorrow. And, uh, you know, as well, what we learned from, uh, you know, what Mark Chipman had to say with Chris Johnson on, you know, seemingly some admission of uh, some missteps along the way and uh, hopefully creating a new path forward that uh, is good for the team in this community. Yeah. You know what? It's interesting. Huss. I, I know it's, it's, it's been talked about quite a bit. It's been a, you know, a big thing over the weekend. This feels like a redo to me for these guys. You know, this, you know, I think, you know, last spring when they, you know, when they brought out that forever Winnipeg campaign, uh, you know, a lot of people viewed it as a veiled threat. People viewed it as, you know, um, and that's not going to work in this market. Uh, I think the Jets will, obviously the Jets were hoping, because these things, they don't just come up, they don't come to be in two weeks. You know, like these marketing plans take months to, uh, to, to, to figure out, to, um, you know, to execute. And I think the Jets were assuming, given their first half of the season, that they'd be in a much better position last spring to have that campaign. But of course, as we saw, Winnipeg had a great first half, you know, almost fell off a cliff in the, in the second half of the season, you know, back their way into the playoffs. Um, I don't think that message really, you know, really was heard by a lot of the fan base. A lot of people who were frustrated with a team that 
had done so well and then seemed to go back to where they were the previous year. And so just on that, you're a hundred percent right. I mean, the brakes were pumped hard at that point and you know, it didn't really go back. It was sort of like, okay. And I have a feeling that, and again, this feedback still comes in and I'm not privy to how many of the people that they've lost. They've actually been in touch. It's told me a lot though, that Mark Chipman himself is on the phone talking to people and maybe this, well, frankly, I agree. This is something not necessarily from the chairman, but from a lot of people that should have happened in the past. But, I mean, my take on this is that they realize that this isn't the time to really hammer on this. We need to take care of our own house first and be far more prepared moving forward to try to convince the people that they've recognized their missteps, they've made changes, they've done what they can do to satisfy some of the concerns or complaints of people. Time will tell whether they've done that, but I think you're exactly right that the the brakes were pressed hard on that. They move forward. And unfortunately, we saw very early this season after the first couple of games um, of what had happened, of the erosion of that season ticket base. And now it's back to both, you know, not hide from the fact that they need to get back to where they were, but hopefully have a much better plan in place to actually execute that, connect with fans that they've lost, new ones as well, and get going back in the right direction. Well, and I think that's the interesting part, Huss. That that's happening right now, right? Like, like they are putting the work in. They are, you know, Mark Chipman is making those phone calls. Now, to your point, probably should have been making those phone calls to people to thank them for having you know, their season tickets for five, ten years, not asking them why they're gone. But still, work's being done there. But they're seeing their numbers climb. They're seeing their numbers improve from earlier in the season, which makes which makes the whole thing a bit curious to me, right? I mean, I think you need to, I think there's a couple things at play here because one, one, um, you know, the, I'd be curious to know, and this is the part that is missing in all this is what did the Jets lose last year? Like, are they losing money year in and year out? Because the Jets, I think early on, were part of the teams with the equalization payments were a have team. I think just barely, like they weren't taking money from, from the league pot. And now I think they are. And so I think so taking money from the league pot actually decreases the money that you're losing. So if you lose X amount of money, you're still losing money, but you're losing less money. So I'm curious, after all said and done, what actually the Jets lost last season? And, and, and I think, you know, I think because Gary Bettman's getting involved is the last thing that he needs is a hockey mad town being part of the taking groups in the NHL, right? He's got all these U.S. cities that aren't getting the gate revenue and yada, yada, and are falling under that threshold and are actually getting, you know, money back from the league. You know, the, I don't, Gary Bettman doesn't want the Winnipeg Jets to be, be a team like that. You know, what's next? Edmonton, you know, another Canadian team? Like, Canadian teams shouldn't be in there. So I think they're trying to nip something in the bud right now. But I, I go back to my original point, like, how much money was lost? And how, how long can you wait before you start you know, panicking a little bit, talking about like things won't work, right? Like we're two years, you know, when I say two years, I know we're not out of a pandemic, but we're out of heavy pandemic restrictions, right? So we're only that many out. And I mean, this number has been tossed around like this, the, the true North. I mean, Mark Chipman bought this team and, and David Thompson bought this team for $170 million. I mean, it's $700 million now. So, you know, the true North gets a lot of tax breaks from the government's, uh, they do a lot of work. They, you know, they they do more than arguably anybody to to revitalize the city, to you know, to to make Winnipeg, to put Winnipeg on the map with you. And Mark Chipman deserves all that credit and more 
for being, you know, pioneering, being the, the leader in that group to do that. But they get tax breaks. They get they get more than anybody from the government. So I'm wondering, you know, I'm wondering why now, why this? And if there isn't bigger things at play, and I'm not trying to get all speculative or anything, but I've talked to people like people in hockey circles who have been wondering the same thing. Like, is there a bigger issue at play here? I mean, where's David Thompson in this? What's his involvement? Like, is, is you know, is, is True North singular able to run this team? Like, there's all these things that I start thinking about when you start looking at the long-term future of the Winnipeg Jets and not just short-term right now. What is at play here? Ownership, obviously. Like, that relationship, is that has that changed? These are questions that I think... You know, when you hear people going, well, why, why isn't there a Q&A? Why isn't there an opportunity for people outside of Toronto that, you know, that get, you know, the Jets work with as their broadcast partners to, you know, this is the story. This is what we want. This is the, you know, if, it, if Mark Chimman didn't like that story, it ain't being printed. That's my point. So, like, the, the reality is, is, like, why don't we know those, why don't we know those things? answers why don't we why do we know what the jets are, are losing why do we only hear about the money that's being made and, and about the money that you know is being you know that that um the, the team has grown and all this stuff that you would think would cover some of those losses in the short term why are we having this conversation now and i think that the fact that we that we you know we know all the other stuff we know that the business we know that business um with you know were an issue the corporate side you know that was the jets doing too they didn't save enough money for corporate you know for corporate money to be you know it was all fans for the most part where that drive to 135 or whatnot uh we know that they we know that the corporate world needs to give more we know that you know if 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 and if the city wants to be an nhl team they have to you know sell out the building or come close to it we knew all this what we don't seem to know are some of the more serious questions about again how much are the jets losing what is the future plan for them how stable is ownership like why why are we getting to a point now where we're talking about you know the potential I'll tell you why. Be- because okay. there was three and four thousand empty seats at the start of the year and i think everyone has known this entire time and this doesn't go back and doesn't change nothing has changed this team can be a member of the national hockey league and can be the center of activity for half the year for a good portion of our population if the seats are full and listen i i think that there were warning signs and i've talked about this before on the program there were warning signs and i know this particularly as a season ticket holder all of these years you know a, a few years ago kind of heading into the pandemic and i've said that the pandemic in a lot of ways sort of just pushed this down the road kicked the can if you will like, I think that if the pandemic never happened, we're not in the situation we are right now, but we were already seeing the erosion. And to be honest with you, Jeff, a lot of it, ironically, came out of the 2017-18 playoff run, which was the highest, which was the height of the entire franchise and the most exciting time we've ever had since returning to the National Hockey League. And you want to know what the summer was like around this city? People were broke because sure. because the cost they were maxing of out their credit cards to go on a, to go to a West big time, big yeah. time. And I think I know, that I that ended up hitting the season ticket base the next year. And again, I think there were a lot of people that thought, well, I'm going to have to step back. But people that are definitely emotionally and invested in this team that realize it kind of does take everyone that step back knowing, well, hey, listen, at least there's a 3,000-seat waiting list, and I know these seats are going to be gone, and you know, didn't feel like they were sort of walking away and it was going to have a tangible negative impact. 
But you add that up, and and listen, uh, we don't need to go over all of this, but, I mean, they didn't do themselves a lot of favors in a lot of different ways, and we're hearing more and more of that. And I think Mark copped to that as well in that article with Chris. I mean, the most key statement in the entire thing was, you know, the change of the organization, going from a sales organization to a service organization, and Mark saying, and to be honest, um, we weren't a very good one. So, and I think that's what a lot of people, frankly, needed to hear. People, you know, the ones that still have the ability to be there, that for whatever reason stepped back, that felt they weren't treated properly. I mean, to me, I said this, you know, after the third game of the season, when we were all there for the LA game and were hit like, you know, a punch in the face with, you know, how many empty seats there were in that building, that a lot of that work had to be done on that side. But, I mean... To be honest and frank, the reason why this is happening right now, and I think they wanted to do it last year, but to your point, realized that maybe they didn't have all their ducks in a row to really go forth. And I see T. Will saying, well, you know, this is a threat. You can call it a threat. You can call it, I call it a fact that we've known since the team came in that, you know, if this team lags, you're the smallest market. If you have the smallest building and you have a massive chunk of your inventory in a seat where 44% of your revenue is ticket revenue, it is going to be really tough. And to your point about David Thompson, I mean, my understanding is that he had been a supporter. He believed in the vision that, you know, Mark and True North had for this city and what it could be done. And he signed up to be a partner in this, knowing that they were the stewards of it, but he would be there, you know, obviously as, as a partner that could help make it happen. But I mean, he's not in this city. If the city shows that they're not really that into it and all of a sudden there's 10,000 people a night instead of 15, like I'm not sure David Thompson is just going to be the guy that says, hey, I don't mind losing 20 million a year. Like he didn't get to be the richest man in Canada by basically cutting checks for that sort of thing going forward. So I think that's where some of the urgency and internal, if you want to call it panic, has happened the last little while because it's pretty simple. This works if they're at a certain level. That level's not being hit right now. And and, and to their to their point, I think why this is a good time to do it, but it has to come with an acknowledgement of some of the things that weren't right beforehand with the way that they handled their biggest stakeholders and investors, season ticket holders, is that we do have a great team right now. I'd argue the most likable team we've had in a long, long time. There's a very bright future with some of the young players that are coming in here. There's a lot of really good things happening, but this is the albatross that if it doesn't get solved, all of that could be in jeopardy long-term and we can call it a threat. I don't think they want to put it out that way, but I think it is important for everybody to know that, um, that to quote Mark, you know where they're at right now just isn't sustainable. Right. And I think they're getting way ahead of the message, right? Like, I mean, that's what I, that's what I'm, that's what I was suggesting about the timing. Like, I don't think like the jets aren't on the brink of bankruptcy, right? Like it's just, they don't want to have more seasons like this. And they, you know, they see the trends, they see the, you know, to your, you know, you mentioned that, you know, part, part of that redo, right. Part of that. What did we mess up last spring? What is it that we didn't say? Oh, right. We didn't say it was our fault. (laughs) Right. That's the one part that was that was glaringly missing. So, of course, it's the one quote that everyone's pulling out that everyone's what changed from last spring to this to this year. Not much. So but that but anyway, the the reality is, I mean, again, it got worse. It got way worse. I mean, 
we didn't have the number of empty seats last year that we had this year. And it was, and I think they were trying to get ahead of it at that point, but didn't have it all. I mean, didn't have that plan. I think as they heard from people over and over all together. And, you know, I, I think everybody hopes that that is the case now and that they can move forward. But, and I can, and I'll speak to this from my experience working in that industry if you're able to maintain a sold out building and have that scarcity of the ticket and the demand you're set the minute you lose that you are behind the eight ball and unfortunately that is what happened and i mean listen there's been mistakes that have been made we've talked about it we'll continue to i'm sure mention it it'll come back from fans but allowing it to get to that point and maybe not not, not even realizing the direction that it was going through hubris or whatever has put them in this situation. And believe me, this is, this is serious because like, for a long time, why did everyone have seats? Why was everyone in on sharing seats? Well, they knew they'd have them. They knew they'd have the best seats possible, and they were committing it to it beforehand. If all of a sudden you know you can just jump online half an hour before the game and get a pretty cheap ticket and whatnot, that is, a, that is terrible for maintaining your season ticket base. And that is just a real-life part of the entertainment b- industry and business. Um, if a concert comes and you know it's going to sell it right away, you're geeked and in there and you're doing what you have to do and you'll get your tickets and figure it out later. If you know there's going to be 5,000 seats in a 15,000-seat building, you can wait, no problem. Maybe things will go up. I mean, there is that uh, – there, it's, it's the part of the scarcity of the ticket that they've lost. Um, and, again, a big part of that was because of the connection to the team that, for a number of reasons, lost with some people. And I think they're working very hard right now to reverse that, get it back. And, I mean, if that doesn't happen, I guess we'll have that conversation. I think everyone hopes that – they do a good job of that, and um, we're not here having similar conversations for the next couple seasons about the inability to get back to where they needed to be. Let's put it this way. Nobody wants the Winnipeg Jets to leave, but nobody's more responsible for that than the Winnipeg Jets organization. And so while they certainly need the help of individual season ticket holders and you know, kudos to all those people that held on for as long as they could, that maxed out their credit cards, that, that – you know, decided to go to Winnipeg Jets games instead of warm vacations, all the sacrifices that were made with all those tickets prices. There is some onus, obviously, on corporations to 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 give, to you know, to have the to to support the the local NHL team that helps their businesses, that puts their city on the map, that makes them, you know, whatever you want to make the argument for what the Jets do for the economy, and which is obviously significant. Um but it's also, you know, and this isn't even a but, it's just the work needs to be done from true north side. Like, you know, like, what does it say that Mark Chipman already addressed the business community in Winnipeg and nothing changed? Something's got to give, you know, like a lot of individual fans. Do that, we know, you know? Like, I mean, that's kind of all happened this year. Like, I, I don't know that they haven't had, in, in fact... And again, this goes well, man, back. The whole to- thing was tailored towards corporations. Like that, that was to, like to me that whole this whole you know, if you will, second wave of 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 you know appealing to 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 
ticket buyers. But this sort of this work doesn't happen overnight. I mean, you can't just go in and expect that you're going to talk for 30 minutes at a Chamber of Commerce luncheon and all of a sudden the problem's over. Like, it's one thing to get that message out. It's another thing to have the human resources, the salespeople, the service people to go in and connect with these people and get it done. Like, I mean, gone exactly. are the days. For gone sure. are the days of 2011 when everyone just goes online and goes, eh, "Send here's my credit card number. We're sold out. All right, see you in October." Um, and I think they're they're learning that, and we've learning it the they're hard learning, way, unfortunately. Thirteen years later. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, let's face it. This is very, very different. And uh, and again, like I mean, if you want to get down to why we're here. I mean, they didn't do a very good job. Mark owned it. I mean, with servicing people, I can tell you, as a season ticket holder for a long time, it was just, uh, See, here's my email. Like, that's a whatever, but what, what do you mean? What do you, what's owning it mean to you? Like, is owning it saying we weren't that good of a... Weren't that Absolutely. Good of a, uh, all right, we, you but, know, we've made some missteps. We either, we made some mistakes. Like, yeah, basically. So then, just, then now what? Now what? Made some mistakes, so now what's the plan? So we made some mistakes. So now we're gonna we're gonna change we're gonna change course. We're gonna do things different, and 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 we we've, we've learned from our mistakes. And now we're going to. Well, now we're hope, now you'll hopefully give a, give our organization and our team another opportunity to come back, and get back to where we need to be, and we'll hopefully stay with you. I mean, that essentially is the ask. Right. I mean, it is, and if you wanted to have it as simple, I'll paraphrase it. We screwed up. But we need you, if this is going to work, give us another opportunity to earn your trust, your business, and get on board with the Winnipeg Jets. And, you know, let's have a great competitive team. Let's have great atmosphere at full games. Um, that sounds better than my like, bad. Like we remember. That sounds well, better than my bad. Uh, yeah. I don't well, remember as I say, reading that. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. And, and I think, and I said this before, I think those are the conversations that – I mean, you can kind of go out and say something like that. And really, I think there's, unfortunately, there's no one in that organization other than Mark Chipman that can say that. And at this point, you know, he's the chairman. He's in his 60s. Like a, a lot of other teams, and again, I, I don't want to point any fingers here, but would have leadership underneath Mark that would be able to go and have that stroke, even with the business community and whatnot. And I don't think that that is the case. And I think that he's frankly been been maybe to a detriment focused on the hockey team and the hockey operation more than a lot of the things that was happening technically on his watch. Like I have no doubt at all. That's what I'm saying. So team. So, okay. So if that's the case, bring in, bring in an auditor, bring in people to evaluate what your organization is doing in 13 years. You spent a great decade of not having to service anybody of, of telling people who wanted to renew tickets, you, the obstacles you would put up, because of the waiting list you had, the, the obstacles you would put up to people who had already spent money for four, five, six years, the obstacles you put up, why? Why wouldn't you want to retain those people? Oh, we don't, people, I have stories that people wouldn't even call people back because they knew, and they would outright say, we already have people on the waiting list, we'll take that over. So bring in an auditor, bring in, why is it that you don't, why is it that you're losing that many fans? Why is it that you can't get the business? How many people are doing what job? I think we just answered that question. <laughs> I mean, like, that's the thing. And I think, I don't know whether you need an actual auditor or, I mean, listen, I, there's Lots been a lot, there's been it. a lot of self-reflection inside those walls um, about how they got to where they're at and stuff that was maybe obvious to some of us on the outside or some of us that had, had season tickets, still have season tickets. 
I think could have told them that, but I don't think they were very good at listening for a long time. But again, I, I, I know, but I mean, so what are we going to do? Just brutal. talk about everything that they did bad in the first 10 no, years? No, I mean, no. that's not going to get us anywhere. No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm not, it's like, it's like, I need to counter your, like, I'm with you, man. I'm with yeah. you. I think that the future, we all need to be a part of it in a certain way. The, the, like the, the jet, the Winni the city of Winnipeg is better with the jets in. So I'm not saying again, all those things, like people need to step up to the plate. People need to step up to the plate. But the Winnipeg Jets need to step up to the plate more than anybody else of those groups. Show that you'll step up to the plate. Show what you just said, that trust us. Give us another chance. We messed up, okay? We, we might even have taken you for granted for all those years. Well, you know, the excitement of hockey was here. We messed up. We should have been more loyal to you. Let us make it up to you. Let us prove to you that if you come back to us, this is a city and a team that you, you can have respect for, that you, you, know, you can be a part of. That's the part that's missing. And I think that's all Winnipeggers want. I think people would come and go. And, and I, I think there's lots of people who like, you know, we talk about the corporate world. You know, we might not have the biggest, we might have the biggest business industries in, in, in you know, we don't have, we're not the Silicon Valley of the prairies. Okay. We don't have these, but we do have big companies and those big companies actually do support the Jets significantly. But we have, what we have in Winnipeg and Manitoba are people who have small businesses People who, who make good money, who have the kind of money that's, that allows them to support their families and do significantly more. It's, you know, it's, why aren't they coming? You know what I mean? What, what, what is the incentive for them? Like, you know, and, and so I think that there really is a ticket base here. This whole idea, we're not a hockey town, that we can't have people, you know, that are going to set up and, 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 and step up to the plate. Winnipeg steps up to the plate all the time. Okay. All we ask in return is that you do the same thing. And I think, if, you know, we're seeing that from the Winnipeg Jets. We're seeing that from Mark Chipman. We're seeing him on the phone. We're starting to see that happen. Let's just see how that continued work, you know, what that turns into. Hopefully this new campaign has inspired some people and hasn't alienated anybody, has inspired some people to go do that and then continue to get the work done because you can't do this in February next year. You yeah, know what it, I mean? It is, when, when, you're talking, when we're talking about the investment that it takes – individual businesses, people like me to make those investments, which is significant for the entire year. There's a lot more. Well, as I said, like I'm never canceling my tickets because the team sucks. Like I've kind of, you know, this is something that I prioritize. It gives me a lot of benefits as many other people do. Like I'm willing to invest in that, to have that team. But for a lot of those other people, it really comes down to this. Like you can tell everyone that it's not going to work at the level that it's at right now, and I think everyone realizes that. But there is an element of earning back the goodwill of some people that were alienated before and bringing them on board. And, and listen, that that is sort of where we're at tomorrow, and it'll be interesting to hear what the commissioner has to say and where this goes from here. But it certainly is in all of our best interests if they figure it out, get it done, work out, and move forward in a direction. Listen, we've gone super long, but I cannot have you on without quickly changing gears over to the CFL. Um, I know you were tweeting right. about this beforehand. Um, you know, and, and, and it's funny. It, the CFL sort of comes off of the people's radars in a lot of markets not necessarily here in the off season but man this report came out last week and i have not heard a lot about it can you just quickly give us the 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 cole's notes on this lawsuit to the toronto argonauts involving 
the reigning MOP, Chad Kelly. Call notes on the on the on the face of the CFL having a harassment claim, you know, against the well, and, athletic and, trainer. And, yeah, and, yeah. and the way the Argos handled it. I mean, this is this is a. I would assume this would be a massive story going forward. In a, uh, I mean, listen, I can tell you, if this happened in Winnipeg, it would be a massive front page story for a number of days, maybe not so much in Toronto, but uh, this is a big fire for the CFL. Yeah, massive. They definitely weren't anticipating this one when uh, when, when Toronto signed Chad Kelly to a three-year deal worth $1.685 million, uh, making him the highest paid player and ultimately the face of the league in the biggest market. No, they weren't anticipating that a year later um, he would be accused. And let's be clear about something right now. Um, you know, the allegations haven't been tested in court Um the Argos, last time I checked, Chad Kelly have, hadn't put in a statement of defense. So we, we do have the, the one side, if you will, um, right now. Um, so that's important to mention. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens here, whether this, you know, whether this goes the distance in the courts or it gets settled out. Again, only time will tell that. But um, the reality is, is that, I mean, there's lots of things in these allegations that are troubling, right? There's lots of them. I mean, there's, there's just the fact that this could happen. I mean, look. You know, I think, you know, there's a lot of different personalities, characters, attitudes in a locker room, right? And, and you know, I've, seen, I've been in many different locker rooms. You don't hear the greatest things. Now, I'm not going to suggest you hear ruthless things. And I would also argue that of the 12 years I've been covering professional sports, I'd say it's only gotten better and more improved as time went on. And so, um, but then to see something like this happen, it's just... You know, I, I can only you know I can only really speak to the bomber situation. I'm not saying things don't happen in Winnipeg. I think things happen all you know across the CFL. Things that you you know that don't either get reported or don't get found out. Um, maybe not to this degree, but anyways, my point is is that is that there's so many parts of this that don't make sense to me. Like you know the the um, and by don't make sense, you know anger me. <laughs> they make sense. Um, is that well? First off, you know you have you have a working environment where you know it's so it's so difficult for women in sports already. And so to have these allegations made against a guy who should know better. And I say no better lightly because Chad Kelly has a, has a history of ridiculous behavior of being a spoiled brat. Um, and, uh, you know, simply put thinking the rules don't apply to him. And so that history in and of itself is troubling. Um, I've had a big investigation um, at our paper when Johnny Manziel was being accepted into the into the CFL with you know all his history you know including a history of of domestic violence and I don't you know he wasn't vetted at all that's what I revealed in my investigation and Chad Kelly people were too happy to celebrate this name recognition Jim Kelly's nephew and nobody really it seemed from you know from media to to the CFL seemed to identify that Chad Kelly was this guy who all the way along, right? Whether he was in Clemson in 2012, he demanded that he be the starter there, um, you know, or, 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 or quit the team. He got in a fight with the coaching staff on the sidelines over a fourth down call, which led to him getting kicked off the team. He went to Ole Miss. He committed to Ole Miss before I think he even got to, even played a game. He was back home in Buffalo and got in an issue where he punched a bouncer and was threatening to take an AK-47 and spray the place up. And you, there's a video online. He just looks like the most privileged human being. He's drunk an idiot. Of, like an idiot, exactly. And then he gets, he, you know, he gets drafted by the Denver Broncos. 
with the you know Mr. Irrelevant with number with the 253rd overall and literally got that pick because and he was a talented guy. He was a Rose Bowl MVP. Like he was a good oh, yeah. player, much like Johnny Football was, Johnny Manziel was. And so like, but he only got drafted because Jim Kelly called John Elway and John Elway took him with the last pick and said, We trust that you know young Chad will come in here and he well, knows he made what's the team. State. I he mean, that it. was the funny. Uh, and then for a how while, did he get kicked off the team? He got he, wasted one he, night and then went into Von, a, a Von a, Miller's a Halloween party. Yeah, he exactly. went to Von Miller's Halloween party, got so plowed that he ended up walking into the wrong house, arrested <laughs> for trespassing. For trespassing. <laughs> exactly. And so, like, and just there's all these things, right? And so I'm not, I'm not like you know a lot of people look at me and go, yeah, you're the cynical guy. You're you know you always look at the negative. I'm not saying that Chad Kelly shouldn't have come in, but he should have. He should have gone through similar vetting. And so now here we are two years later, pretty much his ideal timeline for screwing up, to be honest with you. If you want Guess to what? That's how you end up in the CFL. Screw up the way he well, did exactly. in the National and then, Football and then for, League. You know, and then to actually do something with the opportunity, to, to come in your first year off the bench and, and showcase your skill in that, that drive that helped the Argos beat the Bombers. Then the next year, you follow that up with a 16-2 and record. You set a new CFL single-season franchise record. You get, you get the contract. You, you, know, you, you become the guy. And then here we are. We're talking about you, you know, abusing your powers, abusing you know, relationships here with, with internal staff. And then aside from that, I mean, if what's true, you know, if she, if she went to John Murphy – which if I had a, you know, I'm going to be careful here, but if I had a list of a thousand people, it wouldn't even make it for who I would go to for these issues. He wouldn't even be on my list. But I'm just saying that like, you know, for him to allegedly say like, you opened up a can of worms, like let, let me remind you guys, this is the same guy who quietly got reinstated last season after getting into a phys, after getting terminated, after getting into a physical altercation and saying a homophobic slur at the end of the East final in 21. And so you're just like, you're like, this guy's here. And the, and the crazy thing is, so if, you know, say there's, we're assuming there might be some consequences here. There should be some consequences here. Of course, if this is, if this is true, Michael pinball Clemens is not the talent evaluator in Toronto. He is not the guy who is going to find the players that are going to make up for the max exodus of players that they have, right? It's going to be John Murphy. And so he now needs to, you know, what's the future with the organization? There, there are some, there are some significant steps here that, you know, that, that need to be, that need to play out to determine what the future of the Argos franchise is, because it could very well look that drastically different when they take their, you know, they take the field for training. Camp. Hey, we'll, we'll have tons of time to talk about that, hey, but just but one, one more, more on this, the, the one CFL. More too, Huss. One more thing too, Huss. Yeah. Chad Kelly has a hundred thousand dollars a year in marketing money. So assuming that he actually gets through this and can still play, they need to find a hundred thousand dollars a year in, in appearance fees for a guy who's now, you know, shrouded in all this crap. Anyways, you got yeah, one more. It's funny how guys, when they do stuff like that, don't, well, won't even say it, but a little community service might be good for old, uh, old swag Kelly. Um, you did tweet this early on, and this is going to be a real test of, uh, I think to use your term, the teeth of the CFL's policy on sexual harassment, um, as well as how teams handle these things internally. Yeah, will and and I, I tweeted that because, and I wrote this last week in my in my because I, I wrote down I did a break I spent my whole CFL rundown column last week just on the Chad Kelly stuff and 
Um, um, so this incident, like, so I, I wrote last week, I'm convinced that Randy Ambrosi, if you were to ask him to explain his, you know, women against or violence against women policy, gender-based violence policy, that he wouldn't really know exactly what it is. And I say that because I know exactly what it is because when I did the Johnny Manziel um, investigation, it was built on the fact that the CFL didn't do, uh, didn't follow their, their, their violence against women policy that was put into place in 2015 under Jeffrey Orange. Um, and, and the reality of, and, and the reason why I say that is because the, the, um, groundbreaking policy that they brought into play in 2015 again is built on a rehabilitative approach. So in reality, if in, a, in an event like this happens, um, you know, or an event we've seen in the past, you know, where it involves, you know, sometimes criminal activity, just sometimes unsavor, you know, unfavorable activity, whatever it might be, um, particularly when it comes to a, a harassment, assault, some of the more serious stuff, the protocols actually not to not to just cut and bait and, and and release a player. And that's what we've seen in the past from the CFL is that they just, you know, whether it was Jerome Messam, you know, boom, yeah, charged out of here, gone, boom. And so like and then Randy then doubles down and, and you know, almost in a way to like puff his chest says, well, nobody else can register a contract for him. And it's like, OK, if that's what you got, you know, if, if that's what you if that's the approach you want to take, zero tolerance, mess around, you know, what's that popular thing? You know, find out, whatever. FAFO. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, find out. If that's the approach you want to have, all the power to you. But when you've been patting yourself on the back and, you know, heralding this, this, uh, this, this approach that is, to be clear, is backed by all domestic violence, you know, experts for the most part in this country, at least the top experts, um, you know, you – Essentially, what would happen here is they would bring Chad Kelly in and try to rehabilitate him, do an investigation, talk to him about about what he did wrong, get him. You know, there's all these different steps in place. And I'm not saying that the end result wouldn't be, con, you know, terminating the contract or banning from the CFL, yada, yada. But that also is related to how you handle the process. So if Chad Kelly was to come in and say, ah, you know, screw you guys, blah, 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 I'm not doing this. Yeah, he'll probably end up leaving. Uh, it might be different, might not be, if he was to take that approach, took some ownership, yada, yada, yada. Again, we're talking about things that aren't factual yet, but it is an interesting element of this, is that up to now, I haven't seen Randy Ambrosi over several occasions execute the policy that's that he has in place. So my tweet was had to do a lot with that. Um, I just, I'm interested now that um, what's going to happen here, and watch this, it won't be a quick no. And it's not because all of a sudden... Randy's now read the read the policy and knows it. It'll be because he's dealing with Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, uh, uh, a a group that is very difficult in his position to say no to, and will certainly want Chad Kelly on their team, assuming that it's not too bad, right? I'm not, I shouldn't be speaking for MLSE. Maybe they don't want him if it all turns or whatever, but they really wanted Chad Kelly for that international appeal, right? This is the same group that was on board with the XFL stuff, which was kind of leading that during that time where we were talking about merging those leagues. They liked the international appeal of Chad Kelly. So that's, that's kind of what I meant all that a following it. And then, and then B how, how they plan to interpret it based on which team is going to be, uh, which team is going to be uh, needing it. Well, 
this is just the start, I think, of a story that will dominate a lot of CFL circles uh, conversations as we get closer to training camp coming up in the season. These chats with you are always awesome. This is right up there with one of our best. Thanks again. Thanks for the extra time as we got rolling on this one. And uh, have a good one. Uh, we'll talk to you over the course of the week. And I look forward to doing this again next week on WST. Yeah, right on. It's always, uh, always a good opportunity hashing up and chopping up the different uh the different things that come our way living love in this it, buddy. Beautiful. Love it. Great stuff. Take There's care. Jeff Hamilton. Uh, of course, you're probably already following him, but make sure you are. If you're not at Jeff K. Hamilton, you can read all of his work in the pages of the Winnipeg Free Press. Well, we got going pretty long there. Um, <laughs> but listen, it was well worth it. It was a great conversation on a number of topics that I think are quite prudent. As we see, we're well over 500 in the chat. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Thanks to everyone that already subscribed. Got us to 11,000 on the weekend. We pushed forward to 12. And we did hit our goal in getting it in time for our third anniversary coming up a week Friday, which will be a, a special show, not just for the anniversary, but for the NHL trade deadline. Of course, great CFL segment there. All of our Bomber reports brought to you by Princess Auto, a wonderful supporter and sponsor of ours. <clears throat> and, of course... The big sponsor of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Now the home of the Bombers is Princess Auto Stadium. And we can't wait to get to those Princess Auto tailgate parties before Blue Bomber football next year. Shout out to Dalton Schoen, by the way, for coming on the program today. Great to see him mixing and mingling with so, so many Bomber fans over the course of the weekend. Princess Auto, in addition to doing everything they do here in the city, headquartered in Winnipeg is the place where you'll find the uh, best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at princess auto pop by and see them online or in store today and again you can shop 24 7 365 at princessauto.com winnipeg locations panet road and portage avenue west uh big cheers to our friends over at little brown jug Quite a few generics enjoyed on the weekend by Jet fans I saw yesterday for a Sunday afternoon game. That was uh, rocking. Great crowd, great atmosphere as well. And uh, whether it's uh, 5 o'clock on a Friday or a Tuesday night, whenever you're looking for a great beer, Little Brown Jug has so many options, including their flagship brands, 1919 and generic lager, which are available as part of the local offerings at Canada Life Centre. Pop by and see them, William Avenue on the tap room, and look for Generic Lager 19.99 for eight packs of Tall Boys at your local beer store or Manitoba Liquor Marts. And a shout-out to the gang at Royal Sports. They're already getting ready for spring, but in the meantime, ready for Blue Jays season, New Jays gear coming in by the day, Super Bowl championship merchandise for the Chiefs, and the biggest and best selection of Jets gear just in time for playoffs, and, of course, Bomber gear for those of you looking ahead to next season. In addition, the biggest and best deals on hockey equipment, sticks, and more in town, snowboards, boots, bindings ahead of snow, uh, spring break, and, and probably your best way, follow them on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina for the latest merchandise drops, sale information, and for all your sporting needs, head on down to Royal Sports at 750 Pemina Highway. All right, we... Uh, We've gone a little bit long, but I think if you're still with us right now live, you're going to love this next conversation. Um, Al's brother himself, Michael DiStefano, joins us now to talk about the incredible record-breaking sale of the found sealed case of OPG 7980 rookie ho hockey cards, which include the Wayne Gretzky rookie. 
AB, Michael, welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk. It's great to have you on for the first time. Oh, thank you. Happy to be on. It, uh, yeah, it was a wild weekend in the in the sports card world, a wild weekend in the hockey world, so lots to talk about today. Yeah, I'm sure you and the rest of Leafs Nation is pretty fired up, although uh, and we actually have to thank you for beating the Avalanche on the weekend, getting the Jets a little closer to being uh, <laughs> all alone in first place in the Central Division. Um, and by the way, just before we get into this crazy story about the collectibles, Incredible playoff performance. Uh, people are already wondering about the tremendous information. A lot more tremendous information at the end, but you did make Luke Wilson and Odog sweat after that big lead towards the end of the year. Yeah, we, I mean, we made a strong push at the regular uh, at the end of the regular season. Obviously, we went on a, a nice little run there, but uh, you know, we we got hot at the wrong time in in terms of the regular season. But then come playoff time, we knew we had to buckle down, you know, and and we got cooked up some tremendous information and uh, rode it all the way to uh, to 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 a victory. So I, I can't really say that we were perf perfect in the playoffs but we were better than them and that's all that matters that's really all that matters you know what i'll uh we will all look forward to football season getting going again and you guys doing your picks and having a fun but it is also obviously great to see you back uh, uh doing stuff with the station and uh, and the overdrive guys tell us about before we get into this story fill us in on what you're doing with the hockey news um you know the collectible world has I mean, it's continued to grow year over year, but the pandemic had seemed to take a massive yeah. spike, and uh, you're kind of seemingly covering it and following it all with the hockey news. Yeah, um, this past summer, I, I got in touch with uh, you know the editor in chief over there right now. Um, you know, Michael Trakos reached out to me, and and he said that they were looking to start up. Uh, a collectibles site for the hockey news and was asking if, if I had interest. He had known that I was, you know, a card collector myself and that I had, you know, gone to shows and uh, I had been a big advocate for card collecting and was wondering if I'd be interested in taking over the site as the manager. And uh, I said, yeah, sounds like something I'd totally be interested in doing. So been doing it for a couple of months now. And um, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun, obviously, you know, getting to write for the hockey news. I, Growing up, I always had a subscription. Uh, I was like the one of the things on my Christmas list every year was a new subscription to the Hockey News. So you know, now being able to to work and provide coverage for it is is pretty awesome. And to be doing it in hockey cards is something that I never thought that I would be able to do. Uh, a passion of mine since I was a little kid. So it's uh, it's pretty sweet. Uh, you know, obviously, Reem's just firing up some of these pictures. Uh, you still uh, fire up the table at uh, some of the card shows and still get in oh. on the uh, on these card streets with the uh, the Absolutely. rest of the collectors. Absolutely, I'm on the ground floor, right? Boots on the ground out there. I was at a card show this past weekend on Saturday up in Richmond Hill, just perusing the floor myself, looking for some good deals, looking for some steals, doing the old bartering, and uh, I like to set up also um, at least once a month, like my hometown of. Uh, Niagara and St. Catharines, they usually have uh, a monthly card show that I like to set up at. I've, I've known the owners of the card show um, of the store for years. So uh, I used to do it way back before the pandemic and then got back into card collecting more heavily during the pandemic, along with a lot of people and uh, have dumped a, a decent amount of money into the hobby. But it's just a really, really fun thing to do. It's it's uh, for me, one of the, the, the funnest hobbies that I have. Hey, let me just before we get into this crazy case story, um, Connor Bedard uh, is the, uh, you know, we, we believe could be, you know, one of those generational players. Um, 
His first cards come out, I guess, in the Upper Deck Series 2. What's the latest on Bedard collectibles, uh, especially his rookie card right now, and what's that done to the industry in the last little while? It's 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 insane. Yeah, you're right. His Young Guns, which is the flagship rookie card um, of every player, is set to come out next next week, March 6th. Um, so it's, it's going to be a rat race to, to get that card. Everybody is anticipating this is going to be an expensive one at that. It's interesting what it's done to the, to the market though, I would say, because we've seen cases and boxes, uh, get a lot more expensive than usual. So, you know, just to take a peek behind the curtain, I am curious to see if that's going to cause some people to leave the hobby, break open less boxes, and then is that going to impact the amount of supply of cards, therefore make it more expensive? It's actually going to be a very interesting case study over the next year or so to see what happens with this series too. But uh, it's definitely going to be a very, very highly sought-after card because Connor Bedard is just a, a freaking age. Like, this guy is unbelievable, and everyone's going to want to get a piece of it. His his. For, he, in Series 1, they had like an Easter egg card that came out in the set, and that was going for like $1,000. So the anticipation is that this Young Guns could potentially go for in and around that price as well on release day. That is going to be uh, – well, listen, we'll uh, definitely pay attention to it. Maybe we'll get you back on to talk about it, you know, as we kind of get in and see where the market goes. We do want to talk to you about you – know, you've got a piece uh, in the hockey news right now, um, and we'll uh, throw up the link in the chat so people can go read it. Um, we heard, what was it, a few months ago about somebody finding a sealed case of 1979-80 OPG hockey cards, which, of course, is the Wayne Gretzky rookie year. This, like, as far as card collecting goes, specifically to hockey, this really is the holy grail, isn't it, Michael? Yeah. Oh, 100%. I mean, this this is exactly... like To find this is unbelievable. It's the only known sealed case in the world at this point. And it was found in little old Regina, Saskatchewan. Uh, the, the story goes that, you know, the family was just kind of cleaning out uh, some, some boxes down in the basement. I believe the father who had collected for years had passed away. And they were just kind of cleaning out all these boxes. And they were under the impression that it was actually... Because it says 1980 on the box. So they thought it was 1980-81 and someone said i would double check if i were you and they kind of peeled back the top layer a little teensy bit and noticed that the boxes were white well the 1980-81 boxes were blue it was the 79-80 boxes that were white lo and behold that meant that uh there are 16 boxes of a Wayne Gretzky rookie card year set inside that case. So that instantly made that uh, box worth a couple million dollars more than what they originally thought. And yeah, it finally sold on auction uh, this past weekend. I've been watching it. Um, it was about three weeks long, I think the auction was, over at Heritage. And it finally sold for... $3.1 million USD plus a buyer's premium. So the final sale price was $3.72 million American, which is roughly $5 million Canadian. Just an astonishing price to pay for some cardboard. What was that? Um, I mean, I'm not sure whether you knew this, but was that more than what was expected for this to fetch? Or, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people had done some numbers as to what this thing is worth and 
Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of speculation in it because, of course, these are unopened boxes and unopened yeah. packs. But you know there'll be some Gretzky's in there. Yeah, so it, it is a little bit more than I think most people were anticipating. I think the expected value was to come in and around the two-ish million dollar mark. So it went for, for over three. So uh, it definitely did go over the mark that people thought it would. Um, it's it, So be based on the set... Uh, there's estimates that there could be up to 27 Gretzky rookie cards inside this case. And it's going to be fascinating to see what the owner does, like what the the person who purchased this case does. You know, people assume that, uh, you know, this person's just some rich guy who probably is going to want to open it, rip it up for nostalgia purposes, and then try and grade these Gretzky rookies and try and get a PSA 10. But there's only two PSA 10s in the world, two perfectly graded 10 Opeachy Gretzky rookie cards. So it's very unlikely that it's in there. And if there is not a ready-to-go PSA 10 graded Gretzky rookie inside any of those boxes, he will never make his money back. It's not even going to come close to make it back the, the $3.72 million USD price that he paid for this box. So it's going to be an interesting decision whether this uh, collector who purchased this item keeps it sealed or tries to to rip open the only known box uh, of this product. If you can, I mean, people know, oh, this is Wayne Gretzky, and we know this is the rookie card, but if you can, explain the grading process and why even now there are only two tens of the Gretzky rookie from that year. Sure. So there's also a BGS 10 and then there's an, an SGC 10 and that gets a little dicey. So we'll, we'll PSA, though, is considered like the gold standard when it comes to grading sports cards um, and especially vintage sports cards at that. So basically there's a grade from one to ten and based on either it's uh, how well the card is centered or how well it, it, the card uh, the surface looks the fading the coloring um if you'll notice it, i see you got to hear up on the screen there's like the red oil drop in the oilers logo in the bottom right corner often that is very off-centered and it is extremely rare to find one that is centered well that's one thing that people look for right away just to see if that is you know going to be centered properly so that's one thing to look at the corners is there any white marks is there any dings edges uh anything like that anytime you see a blemish on a card it's going to take you know part of your grade away so a card from 1979, it's very unlikely that you're going to find one in perfect condition, even at coming out of the package. Like a lot of people have the assumption that if it's coming from the box, it's coming out of the pack, it's never seen daylight, it must be in perfect condition. It's not the case. There's a strong possibility that there could have been some cutting errors at the at the factory when it was packed. It could have got crimped wrong somehow, could have got bent in some way. When it was printed and cut on the sheet, could have been cut a little too far to the right, too far to the left, up, down. There's many different problems that could have been had. It could have been printed wrong on the card, like I said. So this looks like actually the oil drop is nicely centered, but there are some that are too high, too low, to the right, to the left. Um, there, there's a lot of issues that could be happening with any uh, hockey card and especially some of these more vintage cards. So 
it's Im- nearly impossible. Like I said, there's been nearly 12,000 of these Gretzky cards that have been graded by PSA, and only two of them have come back a PSA 10. So it's extremely unlikely that there is a, a PSA 10 copy waiting in one of these boxes. And like I said, unless that happens... Um, and he, he somehow finds the third uh, known to man inside there, uh, it, it's unlikely that the cost will be recouped. A- any idea what the what the value is of those two PSA 10 Gretzky's right now? Yeah, so one sold in 2021. That's the last known sale of it. Uh, went to sale on auction. I believe it was also through Heritage, I believe. And uh, it sold for $3.5 million U.S. So that's that's what you're hoping for. If if you're going to open this box, it's got to have a PSA 10 Gretzky in there or else you're not going to. You're not going to see that money back, and, and not even close. Even a nine, I think, goes for like one hundred and fifty thousand. Like, there's that big of a, a drop in a PSA ten and a PSA nine. Yeah, I mean, these cards were made over forty years ago. They've been yeah. in the packs. They have been in sealed boxes, but they've been in a pack with a stick of gum. I can't imagine the state of the gum, to be honest, coming out of these packs right now. But not something it, I'd be taking a chunk at. <laughs> to uh, do the cards, like, is there any worry about the cards just? not being the same as you would remember them because of time, like it's still in the packs. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it, it's, it's possible that there could be some warp to these cards as well. You don't really know until you, until you open them up. Um, I, I have never personally been able to experience opening up one of these 40 year old packs before. So I don't have firsthand experience, but I'm sure there are examples of cards that, you know, weren't packed away properly or stored properly. And uh, maybe some moisture got into the box somehow and seeps into the packaging uh, of wax and they could open up these, these cards, and these boxes, and there, there could be something inside. It, it might not be, uh, you know, as perfect as we think. So it certainly is possible, but you wouldn't really know until you open it up. It could be perfect too. Like it's, it's not out of the question that, uh, that they will be in as close to pristine condition as you know, you can get. Oh, that beautiful back of the 7980 OPG with the skate and the, the guy at the top. It was, yeah. uh, I was a really, really, I mean, I think many, if you were around, if you're alive at that time, or even, you know, growing up at all in the eighties, those cards were around, but, um, I think there was a lot of people that had them in their bike spokes and whatnot that's to that. make it sound like a motorcycle thinking. That's the back. old story. <laughs> that's the old story. I remember because I, this is before my time. I wasn't, uh, I'm a nineties baby. So this is far before my time. And uh, I remember my uncle though, telling me, ah, I used to have five of those, but I put them in my bike spokes, me and my friends. I'm like, you should have put it in, in, in plastic and slabbed it. And today it could be worth thousands of dollars. So what uh, what happens as kids is interesting. I mean, did we? My generation did the same thing with with Pokemon cards, and I don't know if you know the the Pokemon market these days. It's not quite as robust as uh, as three and a half million dollar Gretzky's, but it's it's quite expensive as well. And that stuff that I just played with and got dirty and you know got all ripped up and and now it's not worth nearly as oh, much as well, it I, I, I'll try, here, I, let me just chime in for a second I had so many yeah we lost we like lost all of them I had all the yeah. hollows first edition like we had so I don't exactly. I'm getting anxiety uh, <laughs> when seeing the price charts of those 
Exactly. Uh, well, I know Logan Paul bought one for five million bucks, put it on a chain, and wore it at WrestleMania. That was, uh, and, and just the fact that it was five million bucks, I think, tells you all you need to know. Speaking of the money, do we know who bought this and what their intention is going forward now that they're the owner of this sealed case? Yeah, I haven't seen an update as to who purchased this case. Uh, obviously, Heritage Auctions, they, you know, have. Um, it's up to the buyer if they want it to be known who who purchased this case. And so far, I don't believe the identity has been uh, has been out there, and and no one said what their intentions are of this case. But I don't know about you. It'd be it'd be tough to to have this box sitting in in a in a closet or sitting in a in a warehouse or wherever this person's gonna put it and not be tempted to open this bad boy it's it's a piece of hockey history it's the holy grail um and there could be like i said as many as 27 wayne gretzky rookie cards that you can pull pack fresh the thrill the rush of being able to do that would be awesome however it's also something that you could keep and hold sealed and use it as an investment and maybe it sells for four four and a half million in 10 more years from now michael this has been great having you on the program um obviously you will be bringing the tremendous information back to overdrive as you guys get picking games the next football season but fill people in on uh where they can find your content with locks on locked on leafs and of course uh, everything you've got going on with cards and collectibles of the hockey news yeah, so you can find, um, you know, if you're interested more in, in the hockey card hobby and community, uh, yes, we've launched a, a new site over the last couple of months at the Hockey News called the Hockey News uh, Collectible. So it's literally just www.thehockeynews.com slash collectibles. And uh, you can also find my personal work. Um, I have a Leafs podcast, uh, Locked on Leafs. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Also, we have um a youtube for video as well so youtube or uh which wherever you get your podcast at locked on lease we do daily maple leaves uh podcast there hey listen uh we really appreciate you coming on we'll have to do this again and talk maybe jets and leafs at some point but in the meantime say hi to uh, jeff Bryan and the gang and uh all the best we appreciate you coming on absolutely will do thank you for having me all right good stuff with uh ab Great to have him on the program, and uh, as they say, the the Bedard rookie card comes out, I believe, next week or the week before, as he mentioning. And uh, I was talking with Dustin, who's a big card guy today on the Lock Shop. May have to get Dusty on to uh, to talk about that as we get forward. But there is going to be a hysteria over those cards, and I think some real sticker shock when people sees the price of the boxes when uh, when they come out. Uh, listen, we've gone long. Do have to quickly get to the cool bet lines. Uh, but got to thank our friends at Boston Pizza. Man, their wings are so damn good. Had them on the weekend. I feel like getting them again tonight. Um, no better place to uh, check in on the action on the tube and gather with your friends to watch the Jets or the rest of the National Hockey League than your local Boston Pizza with those world-famous BP wings, gourmet pizzas, and a couple ice-cold schooners as well. Hey, if you are staying at home tonight, you can always get the great taste of Boston Pizza by ordering online at bostonpizza.com. And a shout-out to our friends at Aikens Lake Wilderness Lodge. I know it's going to get cold the next couple days, but you stick your head outside and realize that March is just around the corner and start feeling like spring is going to be here soon and, of course, summer. And that means getting out the water and fishing, and there is no fishing experience in Manitoba 
like the fly-in Aikens Lake Wilderness Lodge, where you can be on the water in less than two hours from the city of Winnipeg. And as the as world-class as the fishing is while you're at Aikens Lake, the Aikens experience and the hospitality of the Aikens team is even better. Find out more on availability for the 2024 season today at AikensLake.com and make sure to check out Aikens Lake on all of the social media platforms. We'll also do a Sport Manitoba um, a segment later on this week, courtesy of our friends at Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries. Thanks again for their support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. Um, had a fun lock shop today with Dusty kind of recapping the entire weekend. Um, ugly loss for the Oilers on Saturday night to the Calgary Flames in the Battle of Alberta. And the Oilers are right back at it tonight in a huge game in the Pacific Division, hosting the Los Angeles Kings. Kings playing better as of late, and the Oilers winless in three games to start off this homestand. Edmonton is a minus 163 favorite. The Kings are plus 138. Other games tonight, Ottawa is a minus 136 favorite in Washington against the Capitals, who are plus 116 home dogs. The Islanders are plus 145 underdogs in Dallas. The Stars minus 172 on the money line. And the late game is the Boston Bruins coming off their overtime loss to the uh, Canucks. Big win for Vancouver, battling back from a 2-0 deficit in the third, tying it with the goalie pulled and winning it in overtime. Boston's in Seattle. Boston minus 137 favorites. And the Kraken plus 116. Um, Dusty, I know, has an Edmonton sports talk parlay for the game tonight, but we did focus in on the other three games in the lock shop today. We're taking Ottawa to win, Boston to win, and we're going to take the Islanders plus one and a half against the Dallas Stars, which is a lot more fun to cheer for as a Jets fan than a Dallas win. Um, so uh, the Stars back at home for one game after being on the road for 8 of 10. Big win on Saturday against the Hurricanes. They've got Colorado tomorrow and then Winnipeg on Thursday. So we'll see where the Islanders can keep this one close or even win. Um, that one, when we put it in on the on the site, was plus 375. It is boosted to plus 425. So if you like Ottawa, Boston, and the Islanders to win or lose by one, Get on with us and ride with the lock shot plus 425 in the cool bet exclusives right now. Um, we got to get this pot up because we went long, especially with Hammer. But man, that was a great conversation. Thanks again to Rennie for jumping on today. Uh, Mickey Canuck himself, Michael DiStefano, and of course, Jeff Hamilton for the extended chat. Always love chopping it up with Hammer, and that I think was one of the more interesting ones we've had over the last year or so. Game day tomorrow, the commissioner in town. We will be all over it. Join us tomorrow at 1 o'clock on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. In the meantime, make sure you're subscribed to the channel. Give us a thumbs up. Tell a friend about Winnipeg Sports Talk. And shout out to all the podcast listeners making WST a part of their day as well. Have a great Monday night. Four games in the NHL. We'll talk about them tomorrow as well. We'll see you at 1 on YouTube to get ready for the Jets and Blues and NHL Commissioner's Gary Bettman's visit to Winnipeg. We'll see you then, folks. Thanks for being with us. Oh my god! Oh! Shut it down! Let's go! Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.